Thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of our show. Between the Sheets airs live at twitch.tv slash critical role at 7 p.m. Pacific on Monday nights, then is uploaded to our YouTube at youtube.com slash critical role on Wednesdays. Subscribers to our Twitch channel get early access to the VODs, emotes, and much more. Enjoy today's conversation with Noel Stevenson. Noelle Stevenson is a -a one-of-a-kind person, storyteller, and artist. She sat down with me to discuss her path from South Carolina all the way to creating and showrunning a TV series by the age of 24. She's had a long but inspiring personal journey, and I know you'll be moved by her story. Enjoy this conversation with Noelle Stevenson today on Between the Sheets. Noelle Stevenson, thank That's you for joining me. me. Thank you for having me. It's so exciting. This is a Bucare. Ooh. Yes, it's a uh, New Orleans-based drink. That is. That's pretty good. Amazing. That's delicious. That's really good. I love that. A little rye whiskey, a little vermouth, Benedictine, some cognac, some mm. bitters. That's delicious. <laughs> Nothing like drinking at noon. I love it. <laughs> the writer's life. <laughs> The writer's life. You got to do it. Where it's juice. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's uh, it's like it unlocks the creativity. <laughs> Brings out the flavors. So my uncle and the creativity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, where are you from? I'm from South Carolina originally. Whereabouts in South Carolina? Columbia. It's uh, right in the middle. There's a swamp and There's a, a swamp? river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you play in the swamp as a kid? Was it no, like we're a scary? In the swamp. Oh, you yeah. were. <laughs> Swamp kids. It's just there. <laughs> like garbage pail kids. Yeah, we just went down to the river and watched people like float by on tubes with like a uh, like a whole cooler inside the tube, and really? like they're all tied together into like mini floating like raft cities. That was our entertainment. We just watched people do that, and sometimes they'd flip over, and that was kind of the goal. Is it really slow though? Because it's a swamp. Usually. Oh yeah. Lately, yeah, yeah. we've gotten a lot of rain, so now it's more fun to go because it's like people don't realize that now they're rapids. So oh their yeah. Whole cooler is just gone, and they're like, oh god. That's a lot of yeah. Keystone mm-hmm. Light that went mm-hmm. overboard. It's the only thing to do in Columbia, South Carolina. That's not true. It's a very nice museum. <laughs> but you get sick of that really fast. Yeah. I mean, how many times can you see the like mo- like model megalodon before you're like, eh, old news. Did the megalodon come from the swamp? <laughs> Presumably. If I grew up by a swamp, I would come up with I mean, all kinds of That's where megalodons crazy... live. Yeah. So, you know. I saw the sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. What kind of kid were you then? Um, well, I was a weird kid. Um, uh, I was homeschooled. Mm. Um, one of five kids. So five kids. Yeah. How many? How many boys, girls, brothers, sisters? What's the What's the game? I've got two of each. Um, so I got older brother, younger brother, older sister, younger sister. I'm right in the middle. Right it's in the very middle. symmetrical. It's It's easy to keep it all straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we were. Uh, so we were a big family. My mom homeschooled us all. Um, and you know, there were a lot of other homeschoolers in our area. So we were like, you know, I had friends, but, um, yeah, you didn't have that thing where you felt like isolated from everybody. Yeah, because... No, we weren't like on a farm in the middle of <laughs> yeah, nowhere. Although yeah. I didn't know people like that. Yeah. Like, there were people who were those kind of homeschoolers, right. but yeah, it was like, it, like a lot of times being homeschooled and being one of five just means you're kind of just on your own. Mm. So you have to figure stuff out for yourself, which is, you know, not the worst thing. 
You grew um, up a little fast that way, probably. Yeah, yeah. We built a lot of really dangerous tree houses, did a lot of the chores. That's kind of the experience. Yeah. <laughs> How long? Did like the whole through high school or did you end up going to like a public high school or something? Were you homeschooled? Yeah, I ended up going to public high school uh, when I was a junior. So I mm. went for two years. It was like such a culture shock. Like it was just like going from being like, you know, I was like the coolest kid when I was like a homeschooler. I thought I was. And that's all that really matters. I was just very confident. And I was like, I'm going to like cut up some socks and wear them on my arms and like make arm warmers. And everyone was like, wow. I that must be cool because mm -hmm. she seems to she, think it's cool. If you're confident doing something. Exactly. Then, yeah. And so then I go to school and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Nobody else is doing this. <laughs> I don't think I'm cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might have gotten the facts wrong there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a bad way to grow up. You're just like sort of just doing your, ho your own thing the whole time. Um, and yeah, it was... Uh, just a lot of running around and, and teaching myself math. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Two years of being in that school setup versus like all those years of homeschool. You said it was a culture shock. What yeah. was the biggest thing to get used to? Just the amount of people or learning in that environment? Yeah. I mean, it was like the amount of people. I think the thing that was hardest for me is like when you're homeschooled, you just get a stack of books and it's like, all right, do these books. Like mm. finish what's inside and then you're done. So, but then you go to school and it's like, well, today we're going to watch a movie. It's Ellen Brockovich. And it's, uh, you know, it's yeah. somehow related to economics. Uh -huh. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like, do I have to be here? Like, I got, I want to go do some other stuff. And they're like, no, you have, it's part of the curriculum. Or like you're doing a test and it's like, I'm done. Can I just go? And mm -hmm. they're like, no, you have to wait. Everyone's still doing their tests. I'm like, but I'm done. <laughs> it moves at a lot slower pace. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because it is. It's just like when you're kind of making your own schedule and just it's like, all right, you don't have to do math today if you don't want to. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, you're going to do two lessons of math tomorrow. So, you know, it's just kind of like you you can do whatever you want, but yeah. you have to pay the consequences. Right. Um, so then like being in school where everyone is like, no, here's someone who's going to tell you exactly how this is going to go. And like what time you get to do everything. If there's a pep rally, you have to go to that. Even if you don't feel very peppy, you know, you yeah. still got to go. And yeah. I was, so I got really good at like sneaking out of school. You did? <laughs> Honestly, yeah, just making a break for it, like across the like baseball field. And like, <laughs> you know, you I was just like, no right. way. Honestly, mostly I just like, like skipped out on class to go like paint sets in the drama club. Cause like I said, I was like not cool, yeah. but also very cool. So were yeah. you in the drama club? I was in the drama club. So did you do plays? And I stuff did. Like yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was really big into plays. Um, actually, uh, the homeschool group I was in was really big into plays too. So we had, uh, actually a bunch of directors who would get very like avant-garde with the like homeschool plays and we'd like charge like ticket prices oh, and it was shit. a big deal. Where would like, you put them on? Like in someone's backyard? No, or? we would like rent out like real ass theaters, like Whoa. big like auditoriums. Yeah. We did this one. It was, um, this was even like before, or maybe this was right after A Brother for Art Thou. We were supposed to be doing the Odyssey. And so we all got cast as our parts. We went home for the winter break. And then like when we came back to school, the director had had a vision and she's like, it's going to be Appalachian, uh, the Odyssey. Oh, so all the characters changed. Like my friend who had gotten cast as Athena, like the, the royal goddess of war, she ended up as a shadow puppet of an old lady named Aunt Theta in a rocking chair who just like shook her fingers. And it was like, so that was like, that's a unique. Yeah, exactly. But it was like so much fun because we had like a bluegrass band and we had like a Greek chorus but we all had like rain sticks and it was like like it was it was kind of like that's kind of cool it was kind of cool yeah. it was like a big deal yeah 
Odyssey is yeah. boring as is. You got to spice it up a little but bit. It's like, you know, in the first five minutes, our whole like 10 year old class like died in the Trojan War. Mm. And it was like super <laughs> exciting. They had like a red strobe light. It was like, it was fancy. <laughs> Went yeah. all out. I know. Did you like being on stage? I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh it's I it's something that I wish I'd kind of kept up with as I got as I got older, but you know, it's a big time commitment, so I just like Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. like yeah, I was Cersei in the um in the Odyssey, Ooh, so that was fun. Yeah. yeah. Got to turn all the the, the guys into pigs. Uh-huh. So that was really fun. Yeah. How did you guys pull that off with the production? Oh, they just crawled around. They just crawled yeah. around. <laughs> and made on King sounds. I feel very powerful. I bet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can we rehearse this one more time? I'm really enjoying <laughs> watching this happen. What age were you when you realized I like to write or I like to draw, or you started to notice that creative side sort of bubbling up in you? I think it was Always. Like, I was one of the kids who just, like, um, I, any kind of toy I could get, if, if I could tell the story about it, like, that was the way I played with my toys. So, mm. like, I loved Star Wars action figures. I was a huge Star Wars fan, so I had this, like, like bag of Star Wars action figures. I'd carry it everywhere. And any moment I got, like, a quiet moment, I would dump them out on any table I could find. And my friends would come, and I would just... Honestly, like we'd start out playing together and then it would turn into me just reenacting, just acting out this like epic whatever. Like it was like, you know, reinventing the characters, coming up with these like world ending stakes, like, and like, I again, like I didn't know enough to know that this was like a deeply uncool thing to do. So just being like the corner at church, like, and I'd just be like, oh, Han is coming. And then and like, and people would come over to make fun of me and they'd end up like kind of standing and watching after a while. Cause yeah. it's like, you know, I got really into these stories. They had this really intricate mythology and everything. Mm-hmm. And like, um, so that was the kind of thing I did all the time. Like with whatever I had at hand, I had like, colorful rocks and I gave them all personalities and I would just like move them around and like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it was just whatever I could find. So, so it was like, I always had that interest in telling stories. I like, I was so spacey. I kind of space out and just think up stories in my head just all the time. Let your imagination go. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I felt just constantly guilty all through my childhood because we were really a a religious family. Mm. Um, So we'd go to church and I'd just like the whole time, I'd just be like, all right, it's time to check in with my like Star Wars, like fan fiction ripoff thing Mm -hmm. in my head and like Mm -hmm. see where all the characters are and Mm -hmm. like, and then I'd like at the end I'd be like, oh shit, I didn't listen to the, I didn't listen to the sermon at all, and like you know, this, oh fucked. god, I'm sorry, like yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. forgive me. Um, yeah, I like had a lot of guilt about that, but I like couldn't help it. It's just like my brain's just like, all right. I used to sneak my Nintendo Power magazines into church <laughs> under my like shirt, and then we would always have to sit on the front row, so I'd hide it in the pew, you know, and I would be like reading through my Nintendo magazine, like hoping nobody, I got busted so many times because they would quiz me on the sermon and I wouldn't know shit. See, they, there's no way they could tell with me. I'm just like thousand yard stare and mm-hmm. they're like, she must just be thinking about God. She just must just being be like pious, soaking in. You know, and <laughs> yeah. like, you know, and I'm just like, and then they're gonna fly spaceship into another spaceship and it's gonna like, you know, like- You're coming up just, with yeah. like alternate arcs for each yeah. character and- Yeah, and I can never remember a time when I wasn't doing that. Like I always mm. had some kind of just like epic story going in my head. Like that was just like, I would think about it all the time, like do sketches for the characters. And I I think like everyone kind of knew that I was, I was always drawing. So they knew I was into art. It took a while for me to realize that like, 
what it really was with storytelling was writing. Um, I never identified like as a writer um, until adulthood, honestly, when Mm. I just kind of like was like, well, I want to draw comics, so I'll start writing my own stuff to draw. And then I was like, oh, wait, I think like both of these things together, the art and the storytelling and the writing, all of it, that's what I like. Mm. All of those things. Putting all those pieces together. Yeah. Coming up with the finished product. Yeah. So that ended up leading to you wanting to go to art school? Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was interesting. That? It was like, you know, I didn't really, again, being homeschooled, there's certain things that you sort of, uh, there's some holes in your education, I guess. So it was hard to get art classes. Um, we had like a group for homeschoolers where like parents would kind of teach um, just the kids as a group, like what they knew. So we do like, that was where we did the theater, um, like right. the plays and stuff. We do choir, ballroom dancing, um, creative writing, uh, stuff like that. So it was just, you know, like almost like extracurriculars, mm. extracurriculars. I know, thing. I have a hard time with that too. Um, and most words. Yeah. <laughs> words are just really hard. Uh-huh. So yeah, like that was where I kind of got my art training, but a lot of it was kind of like, all right, we're gonna make, um, like a paper mache Parthenon, like that's what we're gonna do. Um, and so it it was kind of hard to um, to like learn how to make art. Most of what I did was just drawing on scraps of paper, like right. whatever I could find. Yeah. So it actually wasn't until I went to public school that I got into like an art class and my teacher was like immediately was like, you need to apply to art school. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I didn't know you could go to school for art. Mm. Like, a whole school just for art. Like, that kind of blew my mind. Um, But she was just the sweetest lady. Like, she just really believed in me. And she brought in all these recruiters, basically just for my benefit. Wow. um, From different schools, from different art schools. And that's when I just started being like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. Um, and just, it was like really with her encouragement that I kind of figured out how to apply this thing that I'd always loved doing, uh, into an actual like life plan. Mm. Um, that was when I first, um, got the idea to go to art school. That was when I first started applying. And, um, it's really the reason that I, that I ended up going to art school. Wow. Yeah. And you went to school in Baltimore? I did. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. At, um, help me, what's the name? MICA. MICA. Yeah, yeah Maryland right. Institute College of yes. Art. Yes. So I went in as an illustration major, which straight was Straight out of high school? Yes. Just straight in. Mm-hmm. No time off? No, I'm going to no. go take a year No, I actually skipped a grade that. even. You did? Yeah, yeah. What did you skip? I skipped my sophomore year. Yeah. Eh. Yeah. No, I, it's... Eh. So yeah, I ended up at college when I was 17. Wow. Yeah. What was that like? Because you're in a new city. Yeah. You're, you know, only not homeschooled for two years of yeah. your life. So that's a big, that's a big jump. What it was, it, like? uh, it was, it was huge. It changed everything. I mean, like, growing up in South Carolina, growing up religious, growing up conservative, growing up homeschooled, like, you just don't, you're not exposed to certain things. You're not mm. exposed to certain ideas. I knew they existed. Like, for example, I had maybe never met a gay person before I went to college. Right, yeah. Um, And so it was just kind of this concept before that. So Mm. going to school and having a friend group that was almost entirely queer, it was certainly like a pretty steep learning curve. And it was like almost immediately, like I was like, wait a second, I think gays are pretty okay, actually. Like, this is awesome. (laughs) Well, probably because everything that you had been told or mm -hmm. taught or had been preached to you or whatever else was the opposite of that. Yeah, exactly. It was like, you know hate the sin, not the sinner. And so Mm -hmm. I was sort of like 
ready for that going into college. Like they, they kind of warn you um, when you're a Christian kid. They're like, you're going to go out into the world and they're going to try and corrupt you. Mm -hmm. Like you can't listen to them. Like, so I was ready. I like had my like Bible verses memorized and everything. Um, ready and then to it combat the like, darkness. <laughs> you know, no one there is really trying to like change your mind. No one there is trying like, like going to sit down and argue with you, which I kind of expected. Mm. Um, but it is just like you're like hanging out with some people that you like and you're like, oh, like you're really cool and you seem really great. And I just like in my heart, I'm starting to no longer believe that this thing about you that it's wrong. Like I was told it was. It seems like it's it's great, actually. Like it's beautiful. Um, and so that's really what starts to kind of make a difference, what kind of starts to just change your whole mind about everything. So it was yeah. just this version of the world that I'd never really seen before. And these options for being a person, for mm -hmm. being in the world mm -hmm. um, that I'd never really experienced before and uh, yeah. got it all at once. So Yeah, yeah big time, right? Thrown yeah. into the deep end. Yeah. Was there friction for you because everyone had kind of told you and taught you and like I said, preached at you mm -hmm. about that thing and then you go and experience it and you go, this is way different than what yeah. I was told. Was there, I, I've experienced some of this, which is why mm -hmm. I'm asking you. Was there a weird friction of going like, ugh, they kind of had it wrong? Yeah. And, you know, because for, for my family, there's a sense of innocence to it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, nobody was homophobic. Nobody yeah. was rude. Nobody was racist. Nobody was like, they're going to hell. Mm -hmm. It wasn't anything like that. It was just presented as this is sort of not the right way to go. It, yeah. it very, very, uh, yeah, hate the sin, love the sinner, yeah. as they say, right? Which is such a bad, yeah. a bad phrase in retrospect. But I, I had that friction. Did you feel any of that? Like, Oh, absolutely. Right away. Because yeah. that's the thing. It's like, like the idea, of course, is that you are supposed to love everybody, but the idea is always there. It's always really plain to everyone involved. It's like, it would be better if you were not this way. Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. would just be like, God will forgive you either way, but like, it would really be better if you weren't. Right. And, and that comes out, you know, like it came out with just like the way that like I saw people through my childhood just kind of talk about it or interact with it at all. It's just like, you know, like they... It would just feel like like we have to believe that one day they'll see the error of their ways and just, you know. Yeah. And so that was kind of the friction immediately of just being like, at first I'm like, you know, like wide-eyed, like deer in the headlights at everything. There's just so many naked people, like so many naked people at art school. It's just like immediately yeah. they're just like clothes off, body painting, uh -huh. running around. Halloween is a trip because everyone tries to figure out like, even more than the normal like slutty Halloween costumes. It's like high concept slutty oh, Halloween yeah. costumes. So right. it's like everyone is like maximum amount of naked. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, big shock. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there was that right away. And I, I think I almost even like lumped it in. I'm like, people are just being like, you know, crazy. They're just, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I'm all innocent. And then it's like, oh no, like this is like, you know, these people are my friends. These people, like, this is not something that they, it's not like them being crazy party kids. It's not them, like, you know, doing something just to stick it to the man. This is like, this is a big part of who they are. Mm. This is who they love. This is who they, like, you know, are interested in spending the rest of their life with, you know? And so that was what I'd never quite, I think, realized before, having never been exposed to that. Um, and I was still, like, a really long way away from realizing that, like, you know, there's this, super personal aspect of that for me. Mm -hmm. um, but 
immediately it was like a, it was a culture shock. It, immediately there was a friction because it was still like, I think in my head I was trying to be like, okay, yeah, you're my friends. I love you. But also like, you know, maybe yeah. like it would be better if you mm -hmm. weren't. And mm -hmm. that's the thing that I think that like, you know, gay people everywhere feel, which is like, it's just, it's this constant, it's kind of the saddest thing, I think, when you're just like, all right, people are being cool to me, people are being kind, but like, they don't really love me, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. They wish I was different. Like, right. that's like, so I think, I mean, and that was just one of the ways, like everything changed. Like my whole worldview changed because for the first time I was able to actually see different ways of living my life and sort of like compare them to each other. Because yeah, so far it only known. ever yeah. just been one thing. Yeah. And then it's like, it, it wasn't that the people were like, well, here's why God isn't real. I'm gonna argue with me, which I expected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and instead it was just people being like, oh yeah, I mean, whatever. Like we're just doing our thing. But like, it gave me a chance to kind of be like, oh, maybe this thing is not what I grew up thinking it was. Mm. So that was where, it was a huge, like the first two years of my, uh, my college, um, like experience was just almost like this crash. It was like, it crash, was, yeah. it was dramatic. You Isn't know? it interesting too, though, how you grew up to believe that those people aren't truly happy mm -hmm. because this is sort of the only source of true happiness. Yeah. And then you get to art yep. school and you're like, there's a bunch of really happy people who are more comfortable being themselves than even some of the people that you probably grew up yeah. with or that, you know, that well, had to be that's interesting. that's exactly it. I mean, like, I, I remember actually, I was, I think, 19 years old at this time. I was having a full-on crisis. And, you know, my friend who was just always, like, you know, super kind and gentle with me, even when I was, like, you know, just being the biggest doofus of all time. Like, you know, she, we had this night where, like, I was working the night shift at the time. So every night from like midnight to 8 a.m. I was up. Wow. And so she would she would come sometimes when I was like, hey, it's 5 a.m. and I'm freaking mm -hmm. out. Like she would mm -hmm. come and like sit with me. And so on this night, I was just like, I was having a full on freak out. And I was just like, I remember saying it. I was like, but you can't honestly be happy, right? Mm. Like you can't be happy unless you're a Christian. And it was something that like I had always grown up believing, but as soon as I said it, and she gives me this look that's like, what? Like, yeah. of course I've, I'm happy. Like, uh -huh. of course I've been happy. Of course true happiness is possible. I might not be happy all the time, but neither are you. Mm -hmm. Like, and I certainly was not at that time. So it's like this simple basic thing that's just like true happiness is not possible unless you do this, this, and this with your life, mm -hmm. unless you're going in this direction. And you just realize it's like, oh, I don't think that's true. Mm. And like, there mm. are other ways. There are other ways to achieve that, like, personal fulfillment. And, uh... But it was a big, it was kind of a big rude awakening for me. Did it cause any friction with your family? Or was it something you kept to yourself for a while? And just, you're like, I'm kind of thinking and my ideas, things are starting to change. I'm, you know. Yeah. I think, I think I, I was lucky with my family. Um, they were certainly a lot more, not militant, but uh, rigid maybe when I was growing up um, about what we believed, about where we went to church. We went to a very traditional, um, you know, Protestant church. Mm -hmm. um, by the time I left for college, my family as a whole started undergoing a change as well. I think that's why they were okay with me. Like, I knew a lot of people who were like, you graduate from homeschool and you go to a Christian college mm. and then you, you know, you like, you never really leave your church family. Don't risk being corrupted by the world, like that kind of right, thing. Right. Um, but my family was also kind of undergoing, like, I think every member of my family sort of in their own way hit the same wall I did. And, mm. and 
they're still religious. They're still, you know, uh, like they have a lot of faith. But I think that everyone was sort of starting to try and figure out what it meant for them mm. in the world. And so... Honestly, like, I was really scared to tell them when I stopped going to church, but they were way more understanding of it than I ever thought they'd be. Wow. Um, and it hasn't been easy. Like, there's been a lot of times and there's still been that friction. But um, I think it was something that, you know, um, that they related to mm. also in their own way. I think that they were also kind of feeling the same uh, Doubts like rigid, like oh. guidelines of just like what it meant to be this type of person of faith in the South and mm. like being like, well, you know, but this puts a limit on, on us in this way. Like if, when it puts a limit on like who you're allowed to like have real love and empathy for, like that's when you start being like, wait a second, this is not like, this is something's wrong. Something's you not know? lining up. So, yeah. so yeah, I think I was lucky in that way. Um, it was, uh, yeah, they were very, they were very um, understanding, uh, very respectful of my choice. And um, yeah, coming out as gay to them a little bit later was uh, its own whole thing. But like, yeah. you know, it was, uh, I was lucky in that way. Mm. Yeah. While you're in art school, at some point, you start to come up with an idea for what ended up becoming a graphic novel. Yeah. Tell me how that happened. Yeah, so, you know, there was this turning point for me in college. I think even as a result of everything that we're talking about, this kind of like crisis of just like, you know, what am I doing? Who am I supposed to be? And I had a lot of trouble sort of voicing for all that I, you know, was there to communicate with the world, to tell my story. I was having trouble doing that until I found comics. Mm. So I didn't think of myself as a writer. I'd done writing before, but you know, I didn't think I was any good at it. It wasn't until I found comics where I got to draw and write and do all of those things together that overlap between the art and the writing. Uh, and it's just like pure storytelling. Right. And that became my outlet. Like that was sort of what brought me around that corner was that I could suddenly voice my ideas in a more in a way that made more sense to mm. me and to the people reading it. I was able to sort of like take the feelings that I was having, all of these conflicting feelings, and um, and put them into a form that made sense. Wow. Yeah. So that was when I, um, when Nimona started, I really, it really just started out as an exercise. Mm. I wanted to see if I could do it. Mm. And so I made these characters, and Nimona herself was just, she was almost this alter ego for me. Because... Everything that I'm, we're talking about here, none of this transition, nothing about this was easy or pretty or it hurt. It hurt so much mm, all the yeah. time. So that was what led to the creation of this, you know, this character who in so many ways kind of embodied those messy emotions, that kind of anger, that fear, the striving to be your own person, even when other people are trying to impose something on you. And that was the start of it. Um, wow. and it, you know, I, I, I did the first two pages just to see if I could. And then I did the next four pages and then I did the next 10 pages. And then I was like, you know what? I want to finish this. Mm. I want to make a full story with this character in this world. And so I started doing that and I started putting it online as a webcomic. Right. Yeah. I think that happened my, uh, my junior year. So mm. it was, yeah, I was already kind of figuring out kind of how to use comics to communicate um, my feelings in a perhaps more 
uh, constructive way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that was that was the start of Nimona. And it, you know, for the next three years, I was uh, I was focused on telling that story. It picked up traction online, mm -hmm. and then eventually, um, someone reached out. Yeah. And said, "This is pretty fucking good." Yeah. What What was that like? What, what did you Did you anticipate? Uh, you know, because it seems to me like. You were first doing it for you, mm -hmm. and it was part of a process that you needed to go to, go through, mm -hmm. and it was a way for you to be more articulate mm -hmm. than just trying to explain yourself yeah. uh, verbally. Mm -hmm. um, and you could take your time, and yeah. you could really flesh out what you wanted to do with it. But did you anticipate when you put it online, like somebody's going to want to grab this? I really didn't know if anyone else would even like it. Mm. You know, it was such a like. Seems so personal. It was. It was, and I, and there had been, you know, I there had been this amazing surge of web comics um, that had really inspired me, and it just seemed like people were telling these stories that you couldn't tell anywhere else. You mm. know, the characters that don't get to be the main characters in any other story. So I saw that was my model of success, and that was sort of like you know you can maybe, you could kickstart this. Mm. You could like, you know, you could sell it at conventions. Like that's what being a successful webcomic artist looked like to me. Um, and it had sort of been built from the ground up by these like amazing visionaries in the webcomic uh, yeah. world. So I was really just following in their footsteps. And I read, you know, um, like serialized adventure stories. Like I love Delilah Dirk by Tony mm -hmm, Cliff. Mm -hmm. Like that was a big inspiration. It was a serialized adventure story. And then obviously like Kate Beaton's like Hark a Vagrant mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. just like, you know, mind blowing to me because we had a similar uh, like kind of sketchy drawing style. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, oh my God, like I can still communicate my ideals without having to do this hyper realistic, hyper detailed thing that art school has convinced me is good illustration. Mm. I can lean into what I what I want to be doing. Um, and so that was what inspired me. And those are the people that I like really looked up to and was trying to emulate. And um, so the idea that like, that even that it would draw an audience was kind of like, I don't know if I really believed that that would happen. Mm. Because it's kind of this chubby butch girl is the main character. And it's like, you know, it's in, drawn in this naive style. I don't know. I don't know if in my head it was ever like, it took off. It like skyrocketed. It was just like I was doing my thing. I had a really, really great group of people who were reading and commenting and, and showing interest. And then I got the call um, from an agent mm -hmm. who had found me through my fan art, actually. Wow. Uh, yeah, I had done a bunch of Avengers fan art. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. kind of found my blog and found my webcomic. And he reached out to me and he was like, yeah, I think we can sell this. Wow. And um I was like, okay, cool. I'm super about to get scammed by this like random man. That's what you thought. First yeah, I yeah, super yeah, did. yeah. I would um, have to. Yeah. But he actually like, you know, I was very careful and like went to visit and and he like kind of took me to these publishers and I was like, all right, cool. So I guess this is real. Was and that scary? Was it? Oh, super. Once you realized yeah. it was real, I mean, was yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't. I didn't realize it was real. It mm. still didn't. Even when he was like, even when I signed with him and he became my agent, he's still my agent. Um. I was like, yeah, okay. He's like, I'll be, you know, you go back to school. I was still in school. I was a junior still. He's like, I, or I was a senior at that point. I think I was a senior. Um, and so he was like, you know, I'll be shopping it around. You know, you go back to school. Just keep drawing it. I hadn't finished the script. I had like a rough outline. I was still drawing the book. I was like, nothing is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got the call. And I was like in a critique in my like senior class. And they're like, you know, HarperCollins is interested. And uh, 
bullshit. I know. And <laughs> yeah. I was just like standing outside, like I'd excuse myself from the class to step outside and take the call. I was just like, all right, cool, cool, cool. And I went back into the class and I just kind of like, I didn't say anything to anybody. And I just, but I, but I was like shaking the whole time. Like yeah. it was just like, what is happening? Yeah. Um, we finished the class and I just went back outside and I, my friend, my like precious dear friend who was just always, always like there for me. Um, you know, I just like, I burst into tears mm. and I like told her and I was like, this is happening. And she's like, well, you know, they're there. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry that yeah. success is happening to you. Uh -huh. um, but your body has no other way to yeah, respond because like, like shock and It was and like, what, and the numbers they were saying, all of it was just thoroughly unreal to me. And it mm. was just like, is this happening? Is this going to be yeah. my life? Is this going to be something that is, is my book, my dumb little webcomic, is it going to be a book mm. that you can get at the library, mm -hmm. at the like Barnes and Noble? Like what? And seems it was so just, out there. It seems so out there. Yeah, my world yeah. was like going to the coffee shop, getting a bagel, going to class, working all night, you know, mm -hmm. drinking like cheap wine on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Like it was like you don't think of the like it. It's so I had no way to process it. Yeah, I knew it was happening. Mm -hmm. And then when it happened, it still totally floored me. So did things move quickly after that? Yeah. And then you're like, oh shit, now I have to actually yeah. finish this thing. And you know. I mean, I'm still amazed at the amount of just like faith that they put in me mm. because it was like, again, I hadn't finished the script. I had an outline. I knew how it ended, um, but I hadn't finished it. And I was still drawing it. And I was kind of drawing it like the night before I posted it. So mm. there was like no backlog. There was no like here's when I'm going to like finish this arc or whatever. Like it was just, I was just winging it. Wow. And so they trusted in that enough to like buy it based off of that. And my script, I remember the script that I sent them, it was like, cause I was always like, I will be the only one reading this. So it was just like, um, I, I didn't spell out the characters' names. I just wrote their first initial. Mm. And I just abbreviated everything because it, it was a mess. It was a total mess. Like the worst formatted script I've ever written. It was just in a text edit document. <laughs> yeah. And my <laughs> saint of an editor like read through that and gave me notes on it. Mm. But I was like, mm. how did you even understand that? There are like four characters whose names start with B and I just called them all B. And uh -huh. it's just like, you know. They're so used to the writing quirks yeah, though. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. Um, and then... Uh, they just let me in. They're like, yeah, you can keep posting it online. So I was like, cool, because I definitely want to finish it as a webcomic. Mm -hmm. Like, I have my my readers who are tuning in twice a week to read it. Um, I don't want to just, like, cut it off. Um, they let me keep doing that. And it was actually, there were times where I'd be like, I'd be like, like midnight the night before and I'm like drawing this page and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, like, change this plot point. I'm just going to, like... I'd send the script, she gets her leg cut off. What if she got her head cut off? And then it would go online and the next morning I get like a call. It's like, did you just, did you just kill your main character? Like what's what's going on? I'm like, it's fine, it's fine, I'm doing a thing. Right. <laughs> you know, but like Wait till next week. Yeah, but yeah. like um the I guess the improvisation of, you know, of making a webcomic where it's just like you figure it out, you're still figuring it out as you go. Mm. Um, they really let me have that freedom to do that, which you know, was awesome. Mm. It let me finish the book on my own terms, which was like, you know, that's rare. Which I needed. Yeah, yeah. and you, yeah. yeah, you need that, especially. I don't want to say inexperienced, but as you know, unexposed as you were at that point to the yeah. whole industry, you know, in that way. That well, was... and again, also like because I was, um, I didn't consider myself a writer. I was really only writing it so that I could draw it, because mm. I saw myself as an illustrator. So I, um, the idea of like 
finishing a script and having it be like a solid done script and then sending it in and then getting notes on that and then drawing that, that is not how I, especially at the time that I, I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked. Mm. Like I have to be able to be like, all right, I wrote this thing. I think this would work better. I'm going to like build off of, you know, the thing in the script when I execute it visually, because the visual part of it is really where the storytelling happens. Right. Um, right. And I'm still that way a little bit. You know, when I write, I'm always thinking about what the final visual product is. Um, but I feel like whenever I see it, I'm always like, oh, I get now what I should have done with the script. Like as soon as it, the mm. visual element falls into place, everything makes sense. The script is really just, for me, the stepping stone right. to the final like image. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know what I would have done if they'd just been like, all right, finish the script. We'll like workshop the script and then you'll just draw exactly what's in the script. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have worked. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I could have done that. So you get a publishing deal. You are continuing what you're doing. You're still putting it mm -hmm. online. What happened after that? So I graduated from college that year. Um, and I was like, all right, what do I do now? And I moved out west. Mm. So I did an internship out here and uh, for comics. Right. Um, and I loved it. Like and I was just boom? like, boom studios. Boom yeah, studios. yeah. So I was their intern um, and I was like, I love it out here. This is the best. It's sunny every day. Mm -hmm. You know, there's celebrities at the mall, like mm -hmm. yeah. palm trees. Uh -huh. I love it. Let's go out west. Um, yeah. Which was, you know, for comics, it was like, at the time, most of the stuff was in New York, but I was just like, you know what? I, I just have a good feeling about LA. Mm. Um, so I went there, but I really didn't have like any job offers or anything. Um, I just wanted to kind of be here. Um, and I was still working on Nimona. I was still doing my own thing, you know, freelance illustration. Um, and I moved out here and uh, my book agent, he got me in touch with some film agents to kind of start shopping Nimona as a movie. Mm. I was like, all right, cool. Again, never thought any of that was ever gonna happen. I was like, all right, cool, sure, mm -hmm. I'll do the like water bottle tour or whatever. But like, we all know that like, you're just messing with me. Um, Blowing smoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, I know it's not really gonna happen. Um, and, and something unexpected happened out of that, which was that they were like, oh, we have these staff writing jobs for, uh, for animated shows that we think you'd be really great at. And I'm like, what? I'm not a writer. Like, I, I don't have any scripts. I just do comics, mm -hmm. you know? But I was just kind of going with it. So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll go on these meetings. Like, I'll meet these people. They seem really cool, but I don't think I'm qualified for these jobs. Mm -hmm. And I ended up meeting some really great people um, over at Disney uh, for Craig McCracken's show, Wander Over Yonder. Yep. And they were like, all right, well, we want you as a writer. I was like, okay. <laughs> I think yeah. at that point I was just going with it. You know, mm -hmm. I was just like, all right, like I'll just uh I'll just play along. Um, but it was the same exact feeling that I'd had before, you know, of just being like, what is happening? Mm -hmm. I think there's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Um I must have the same name as someone else who's like a talented yeah. TV writer. <laughs> yeah. Don't let them figure it uh -huh, out. Just keep uh -huh. playing along. Maybe uh -huh. they'll be too embarrassed to tell me and make me leave. Yeah. Um, so I started uh I started writing for that. And like um, you know, I was in a writer's room, I had this incredible crew around me, and that was really my first taste of the animation industry. What was that experience like having done 
Nimona and everything by yourself for mm -hmm. the most part and getting feedback from people, of course, and then feedback once you put it up and everything mm -hmm. each week. But now you're in a writer's room with all these people who do have that experience or yeah. are, you know, on paper qualified for that. And here you are feeling like, oh, I don't belong here. What was that experience like? Did you, did you have to just learn a lot or did you fake it till you made yeah, it? I mean, I did. I mean, like my first few scripts, they were like probably nonsense. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it was really having like a really strong story editor and a really strong showrunner who believed in me. And like, honestly, I loved it. Mm. It had this thing like the collaborative nature of animation. Like, you know, like I told you, I always lived my childhood in stories. Right. I kind of was always thinking about them. And there was this idea with my favorite stories with, with Star Wars or with Lord of the Rings. I'm like, I want to go there. Does mm. that exist somewhere? Is there some piece of that that I can access? And like, how do I get access to, how can I like get inside my favorite stories, mm. you know? And mm. so when you're doing your own thing, it's all, you know, the whole story, the characters, everything, it's all with you. Right. Um, Lives with you, yeah. And so much of like telling a good story is like tricking people into thinking this world could be real. These characters are out there somewhere. Like maybe there's more information than is in the comic, you know? Like that's so mm. much of like telling a compelling story. Being in animation is like, you get to live in that world. Mm. You get to live like suddenly there are all these other people around you who are sharing in the world that you're building. You know, you go in there's like the background painter who's like, mm -hmm. I'm creating this alien planet. It's going to look like this. And you're like, wow, oh, my God, that's so cool. And the script, I imagined it like this. You did it like this. It's so cool. Um, here are the other writers who are like, you know, doing their scripts and that fleshes out the world. Here are the board artists who are, you know, every single person on that production, on every production, they all have a piece mm. of what makes this world real. Mm. And that was what I'd wanted, that like kind of living in the story thing. Right. Um, and I, I feel like I got really annoying actually, because I would just like kind of follow people around and just be like, where are you going? Are you going to a meeting? Can I come? Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a board artist. What are you doing? Can I watch? Uh -huh. Like, you know, just kind of like a lot of it was like, I, I wanted to learn, but I also was just like, what's going to happen mm. next in the story? Even though I, I know because I work on the show, right. but I still want to like see it happen. I wanted to see every single piece of it come together. And, you know, they were awesome. They like, they like, they really let me like have a lot of freedom and have a lot of, like they 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 let me go to a lot of stuff and just really see the process of how this cartoon got made and mm. you know I'm super grateful to them for that because it, it taught me so much and it kind of gave me what I wanted this feeling of just like you know collaborative storytelling yeah um and so once I got a taste for that it was kind of like um I love doing comics. I love the feeling of making your own thing on your own terms. But I also just, in a different way, just really love that feeling of just a whole group of people coming together to tell one story. It's like, mm. you know, it's like Clever. theater, yeah. you know, yeah, where you're living in a fantasy world together a little bit. Mm. Um, and it feels kind of real. You know, we're talking earlier about um, when you see someone that has true happiness, mm -hmm. right? When you experience that thing, because you, you know, you you said like you you sort of thought the trajectory of your career was going a certain way, and then you realize like, ooh, it's it's a little bit more mm -hmm. nuanced than that. There's a lot more to it. I have a lot more to learn. I I'm I'm maybe better at this than I thought, or you know, whatever else. When that finally clicked for you, was it like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life? The biggest change in my worldview 
was that I stopped believing in fate, I mm. guess. That mm. I stopped believing that I had a destiny or that I was like destined to be something, which is a really big part of uh, Christianity, the especially the, um, yeah. the Protestant. Mm -hmm. It is kind of like God has a plan. It's all figured out. And even you just have were, to stay on that path. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just stay. And in, I was yeah. terrified growing up because there's the idea that like, okay, you're either saved or you're not, and you might not know which one you are, mm. but it's already kind of decided for you. Mm. You know, right. so I was always terrified that I was like one of the bad ones. Mm -hmm. You know, the kind of like, the mm -hmm. you know, this is the way I got this tattoo. You know, there's a Bible verse that's mm -hmm. like, at the sheep end of the days, goats. the sheep and the goats. You know, God will separate the sheep from the goats. And I was like, well, how how do you know if you're a goat? Mm -hmm. You don't choose to be a goat. You just you're born a goat. You get there and you're, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't, you never have a choice. You can't become a sheep. Mm. So it was just like this kind of, I, I think that was really um, the biggest, uh, just the biggest conflict for me. Like the biggest source of tension was just like, I want to believe that we have a choice, that we have power over our own lives. I don't know if that's true. I still don't fully know if that's true because mm. it's so much more complicated than that. But um, I want to believe that's true. So even choosing what my next move was going to be, how to live my life, so much of it was just like, all right, let's see what happens. Because I didn't, it wasn't like, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to work towards this goal. It was more like I had little small goals along the way. A lot of it would be like, all right, I guess I'm a TV writer now. They're going to fire me in six weeks as soon as they figure out I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But my goal is at the end of six weeks to not get fired. Mm. I don't get fired. I'm like, okay, cool. I guess I tricked them. So right. let's go another six weeks, see how that goes. Yeah. And then maybe I have another goal then. And I'm like, I want to write this great script. I am really passionate about it. That's going to be my next goal. And then eventually it, it wasn't so much like, this is my trajectory. This is my path. This is what I want to do. It's like, okay, this is cool. Let's keep going. Let's see where this leads. Um, but it was less yeah. of believing that I was like, you know, that I had found the thing I was meant to do. I'm more of just like you had to go through a transition first yeah. because your your mindset mm -hmm. was so set in stone mm -hmm. because of that entire upbringing. Yeah. When you started to have those feelings of I might be more in control of my own destiny than or my own life, let's just say that, than you previously thought, did you meet that realization with fear or a sense of freedom or a little bit of both? It was very, it was very profound for me. It was a huge change because you live the first 19 years of your life with a second voice in your head. That the transition to not having that voice is not an easy one. No. And I think you always sort of distrust yourself because you always believe that you're sort of inherently evil mm -hmm. and you're going to do something bad if left to your own devices. And um, the voice in your head is judging that. And it knows, even if you just thought about it, it knows that you thought about it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's maybe a clue that you're, you know, you're bad. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah. the feeling of just being like, you know, like breaking some of those habits of just being like, no, like I am going to sleep in on Sunday. I'm not going to pray right now. Like those are the things, like the little things that are just like, I didn't know I could feel like it, it, it was like mm. a lightness. And at first it was an emptiness too, but it was a lightness. Yeah. And for me, you know, it that was something that was transformative. Mm. Um, it, it did feel like a lot of like, just like being a tiny boat and a big sea of just mm. like, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. Everything around me, there's inf 
infinite amount yeah. of things around me in a way that I never quite appreciated before. Mm. Um, but it was also, it, I, I felt free. Yeah. And so that was something that was, it made a huge impact on the way that I lived my life and the choices that I made. And, um, you know, I'm still figuring it out. I will probably be figuring it out forever. Mm -hmm. um, but it was... It was it was kind of nice. It was kind of nice to not know where I was going, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that had always brought me such fear before, but then it was like, all right, well, let's just keep going. Mm -hmm. You know, might mm -hmm. sail over a waterfall or whatever, but like, you know. There's something beautiful in the mystery versus the yeah. idea that mm -hmm. it's already predetermined mm -hmm. or predestined. You know, the language like yeah. it's all it's all set in stone already your job is to not fuck it up. Yeah. Right. And to mm -hmm. just stay on that, stay mm -hmm. in God's will or on and that path. And the thing is that like sometimes it's just like, no matter how hard you try, you might just still end up, you mm -hmm. know, you might just be born that way, mm -hmm. you know, which is like, that was, yeah. You might never, just be born, for that. born a sheep or born a goat. <laughs> Wander over yonder happens. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, I like this, mm -hmm. this is fun. There's collaboration. Yeah. There's still the art matching the writing mm -hmm. that you get to, you know, have that fulfillment. Then do other calls start coming in? Work on this episode of this, work on this episode of this. How did yeah. that all sort of happen? I mean, kind of. Like, honestly, I wanted them. to stay with Wander forever. Yeah. I did not want to leave. I wouldn't leave, actually. When my writing contract ran out, I was like, well, I can paint. Mm -hmm. And I painted backgrounds for a while after you that. You did? Wow. Uh, yeah. And so I was kind of, we, we were all waiting. You know, we wanted a season three. Mm. Um, we had plans for a season three. And I I really wanted to stay and do it. Um, but, you know, it was kind of like I was, uh, my contract ran out. And um, I wasn't great at painting backgrounds. I did my best. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did end up, you know, leaving the studio and and we didn't get season three as it turned out, mm -hmm. which was a huge, huge bummer for me. Um, and the fans. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I was just kind of like, all right, well, what do I do now? Um, I wasn't, I don't know. I Weirdly enough, I just, I, I wasn't immediately like, I want to go do another, you know, ride on another show. Like, I just like... I liked my, I liked this show yeah. that I was on and yeah. the people I was with, like. And, and it was your first experience. It was my first so experience. It had that, so I was yeah. like, I didn't want the change. Um, so I freelanced for a bit. I did write for some other shows. Um, and then uh, I got the call. Um, this was actually the same year that Nimona came out. So this was a big year. This was mm -hmm. 2015. Yep. Um, and Lumberjanes came out that year too. It was just like, a lot was going on. Lumberjanes is great, yeah. by the way. Thanks, yeah. So. I got the call that uh, DreamWorks was looking for someone to develop She-Ra. And, you know, they had the rights to it, and they were looking for someone to bring, like, a new take to it. I was like, sure. Why not? You know? Like, yeah. I'll do, I'll, I'll try something. It's like what I was saying before, where I'm just like, all right, let me make it past the first mm -hmm. landmark, which is just like, let's get a, a pitch in place. One pitch step it. at a time, yeah. See if they'll get the pitch. Then, you know, like... Every step of the way is just, again, like every moment I was just like, and then they're going to find out I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to get fired. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be fired, but like there's no way that this goes. There's such a small chance at that, like that a show even goes, that a showrunner even like gets to stay on. It's just like the the odds of that. And I knew it. And, and how just, old are you at I was this point? 24. So I was, Yeah. 
just dumb enough to <laughs> believe in myself that I could do a good job. But also, too, that's unprecedented in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big. That's a big mountain in front of you at that age. Yeah. To, if it, if it did end up going. Yeah, but, and yeah. I I think that was a benefit to me in some ways that I was just kind of like. I I tried not to put all of my heart into it right away. I was like, all right, I I kind of know that this is. I don't know if this will go. I don't know if I'll stay. Um, if they want me to stay. Um, try not to love it too hard. But I I love everything I work on mm. like so much, like the maximum amount. So they tell you to to hold everything with an open mm -hmm. hand because in this business things can disappear yeah, exactly. or, or or um you know manifest themselves like mm -hmm. that. Um so it, you don't yeah. you're told not to, but if you're if you really care about your work, it's yeah. impossible not to, right? Because yeah. that that protection and that harnessing of that thing is what makes your art good. Yeah. So it's that it's that For catch me, it's 22. Like the, it, it's what makes it it's what fuels it you know mm. it's like what makes a story good for me is if i'm like buried in it you know and um i tried really hard i tried to not get attached too early and i just i like i remember this actually this was like um i had pitched the show or i was gonna pitch the show it was the day i pitched the show and i like um i just like i made this tweet that i think i've deleted since then but like i was just like all right i just did something it probably won't amount to anything, but I just want to say it right here, right now, just for just for this moment that I wanted this, mm, you know, mm, like and mm. and it was like the only time that I'd really allow myself to say something like that. Like I, I want this. Yeah. I really, really hope that this happens. Wow. And so like, it did. It did happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I put my whole heart in it, into it. So it was just like whatever distance I was trying to keep, it just that didn't work. So it was like, but but it was, you know, it was amazing. Like it was like Yeah. Could be the fact that you didn't keep too much distance is the yeah. reason why it happened. Yeah. Because that level of confidence and that level of care for the work oftentimes is what pushes pushes it over the edge. Yeah. What I love is that when you got the call, you weren't like, no, immediately. Yeah. It was Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. And, mm -hmm. and how long was it between when you got that call and when you went in and pitched it? How much time did you have to sort of figure out what you know, your take on Shira was going to be? Yeah, that I don't know. That was like, it wasn't a long time. It was a few months, maybe. Yeah. So I was working on the pitch. I was working on, you know, and I was really focusing on on the characters and the world building and stuff. I, I really understood that it was kind of like, okay, let's just let's just try something here. Let's just see. Like, mm. if I were to do this, what would my approach be? Mm. And just trying, you kind of try and just like sell that vision and be like, all right, I'm going to paint a picture here. You're going to feel like there's more to this picture that only I can see. And that's why you need me, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the whole thing. And so um, you make some vision boards. Yep. You like, yep. you know, write some brainstorm documents. That's just nonsense. Uh -huh. and, uh, and just try and like, you know, pretend that there is something big that you're working towards. I was mm. like, stick with me and you'll see it, you know? Yeah. And being 24, that was like a total yeah. lie in some ways. <laughs> like, I had no idea yeah. what I was yeah. doing. Yeah. But like, you know, I believed in it and I still do. And I, you know, my heart was in there. Yeah. Whether or not I tried to do that or not, you know, mm -hmm. like it was like, at a certain point I was just like, all right, well, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm in Let's the building, I gotta go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How much of it felt like 
trying to sell the show, the idea of the show, mm -hmm. and trying to sell yourself as the person to be able to bring that vision to life. Do you see? Do you, do you understand? Yeah, like, yeah. Because you kind of have to sell yourself at that point because you mm -hmm. have some stuff yeah. on paper, but not enough to, in our minds as writers, really justify going, I'm going to be writing this and show running it yeah. and producing and all of that stuff. Yeah. Because you feel like you had to really sell yourself to them or just yeah, the show? Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of it is just, it's like, you know, false confidence of mm -hmm. just being like, no, I absolutely got this. Don't worry about it. I got this. I got this. I got this. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I got it. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> Don't worry. Because yeah. they say they say that um, everybody always talks about, uh, oh, well, then the executives want to get involved. And, they mm. and then there's, there's people who say, if you show fear, people want to come in and try and take control over mm -hmm. a project or a film yeah. or a show or whatever. Mm -hmm. If they sense that you're afraid, if you project, I've got this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to. Yeah. They'll leave you alone. Yeah. Was that your experience? Yeah. I mean, I think they were kind of tied together. Yeah. Like, it's like the the selling of the vision and the selling of myself, they were connected. And I probably had been, like, preparing for that my whole life. The same as just, like, you know, being in church and just, like, imagining whatever mm -hmm. story. Like, it's the same thing. You're like, I, maybe, like, I've met these characters. Maybe mm -hmm. they're my friends. Like, I'll introduce them to you. I'll introduce the world to you, but like this is real. Yeah. And like it, it's sort of selling that like I I think what's beautiful about an a collaborative environment like that is that like there are so many chances for things to grow organically and for things to surprise me mm. and be like, I didn't think that was gonna happen and it did, and it's amazing. But a lot of it is also seeing whatever light is on the horizon or pretending that you do and saying that's where we're going. Mm. So just mm. like, you know. Within that, let's play, let's figure stuff out, let's explore, but like this is the direction we're going. And so not just for executives, but for your crew, for right, yourself, for right. the story, you have to sort of pick a point and head towards that. So it's it's something that it's it's a fine line to walk because you can't be too stubborn about it either. You can't just be like, no, we're doing things this way and only this way. Mm -hmm. Like you have to incorporate the opinions of everyone around you. The like and and that makes it better. That makes it stronger. That makes it grow and feel like something that's alive. But that can get out of control. That yes. can become unwieldy if you're not always just like, let's do all of this mm -hmm. and let's keep going this direction. And that's yeah. a lot of what it is. It's just like you know, everyone's like, maybe this, maybe that, uh, and you're like, let's do this, mm -hmm. and then you stick with it and you stick with it. And when if it turns out you're wrong, you're like. Ah, whoops, sorry about that. But like, you know, at least we figured out that that wasn't the right thing. Because right. sometimes the weight of the fear of the just unknown, that can really stop you in your tracks. Somebody's got to make the call. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For people who may not know, or for fans of the show or whatever that see your name in the credits, um, explain what a showrunner does for something like Shira, what was your basically like your responsibilities? So being a showrunner involves you weigh in on every single stage of the show. So I oversee every step of the process, right? Yeah. The scripts mm -hmm. uh, directly. Um, I wrote a good portion of the first season. Oversee every like from scripts to the boarding process, where the scripts are drawn 
in order to animate them to design where we design around what's in the boards and then we ship it to our overseas studio, um, the production aspect of that. And mm. then they animate it and then it comes back and then we do posts. There's so many casting. things. Casting. Yeah records mm -hmm. just like every single step and every single little thing like there are things where you're like you sit in a room and you listen back to every single little grunt mm -hmm. or sigh that a character does and mm -hmm. you choose the right one mm -hmm. and it's like at first you're like wow I didn't I didn't I just thought it just happened that seems so spontaneous <laughs> and you're like all right I'm sifting through just like uh, 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 ah. and like uh -huh. this is weirdly just a super important part yeah. of the process it yeah. has to be right um so yeah, it's everything. All the little pieces that you don't even know are there. Uh, you have to make a decision on at mm -hmm. some point or another. Mm -hmm. um, so that's basically what I do. Was there any weird expectations that you felt or pressure because that is such a beloved character by yeah. so many people? So mm -hmm. anytime you're picking up a something that was already a franchise or something that's mm -hmm. already a well-known thing and you're you're running with your own version of it or your own vision or a collaborative yeah. group of people's vision of it there's got to be that weird pressure right and that that sense of expectation how did you manage that did you ignore it and go we're doing something totally different or how did you deal with it um i i basically treated it as someone has handed me a box of toys hmm. and it's my moment to kind of take these toys out and make something amazing with them. Mm. But like, you've been handed a box full of really cool toys. So you want to take advantage of just like how interesting everything is within that box, but you also are kind of treating it as raw material in mm. some ways. So instead of just being like, all right, I have to fit it within this framework, I have to appeal to this audience, it's like, again, it's just kind of like, let's see what happens. Um, it was exactly, it felt the same as what I was doing with my like Star Wars action figures when I was a kid, where it's like, you know, I've decided that Han Solo is now like a steamboat captain or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing yeah. like that. Like, it's just like you're cool. you're picking up these characters. You're deciding who they are, how they interact with each other, what the world is around them. Um, and I honestly just, uh, I wanted to use everything. I wanted to mm. like, like there's so little about the show that isn't, doesn't have its roots in mm. something from the original franchise. Right. Um all the character names, everything, even Kyle. Like that right. was like Bo's original name, like in the original show, like yeah. secretly. Um, and I was like, there's a guy in this world named Kyle? <laughs> like, fuck that guy. Like, I'm gonna like yeah. make a character named Kyle who's just like, why is he here? Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was, um, it's like trying to explore and deepen and just being like, here are these characters. They're each other's nemesis. What's the story behind that? Mm. How can we figure out how to like flesh that out and like make those emotions feel real and and new and different from the original, but also that it um it feels like the natural next step from yeah. the original. And I I tried intentionally not to think too much about the people who had a strong attachment to it, a, a nostalgic um attachment to it. Again, a lot of it was just kind of like, let's see where this goes. I think that it's gonna be, it's gonna be really good, but I always sort of knew that it would be like, you know. Uh, there were going to be a lot of people who had a nostalgic attachment to it who were going to be resistant. Mm -hmm. And that is just, uh, it makes complete sense. Like, it's we like all that do with it. anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We all do it. Yeah. It happens pretty constantly now because there are so many things getting reimagined, rebooted. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was sort of something I, I knew was going to be a factor at some point. But because I was just like, 
let's see how far this goes before I get fired. <laughs> um, yeah. I, did, I tried not to think about it. I yeah. really didn't think much about it. Uh, it was kind of this thing hanging over me. I was like, at some point, you'll have to deal with this. But mm. I uh, I tried to make sure that the production operated outside of that fear right. um, because it needed to be its own thing. And the second you start getting afraid of how people re will respond, how uh, what the discourse is going to be around it, that's when the story stops being genuine. It's, you're seized. So. You're seized. It was uh, it was very daunting for sure, but it was also exciting. It's a super, super cool box of toys to inherit. Yes. And yes. Uh, I, yeah, feel very honored that I got the chance to to play with them. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I feel like as writers we struggle with the most is the page to screen changes that sometimes happen because someone says, oh, this should happen. Sometimes it happens because it needs to happen mm -hmm. for the story to be better. Sometimes you just can't pull off mm -hmm. what you write and it has to change. How do you do with those changes? Because mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it's very, it's very, you know, contemptuous. It's, it's, I, I don't want it to change. Yeah. I'm so precious about this. You're also someone who is so collaborative and that yeah. your process is so, it's it's elevated by the people that you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. And so Absolutely. was it easy for you to go, okay, I know things have to change, being okay with those changes? Yeah, I mean, again, and I think that this is a benefit of my background as well, where the script was not was never the final destination for me. You can write a great script that reads amazing and the people who are reading it wipe tears away while they're mm. reading it. If you can't draw it, and you're making a cartoon, it's not a good script. Mm, yeah. So that's Those something very, that's yeah. like, you know, I, I always consider the final version of it is what you finally see on your TV. But every step of the process, it's like, and I and I have some big ideas sometimes, you know, like there are some things that are like, all right, there's gonna be this like laser tag style augmented reality training course with pillars that rise up out of the ground and the pillars represent trees, but they also blow them up to form bridges and they swing around them and like it's gonna be like like and I and I'm like writing this I'm like this is so cool and then it's like oh all right well how how are we gonna execute that mm -hmm. how are we gonna make that real mm -hmm. so that's like it's something that it's like right from the start you just have to be like okay. Well, this is my original idea. Um, let's give it to the designer and see how we can actually execute this. And then like, oh, it comes back like this. Like, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Let's try it like that instead. And then the board artist takes it and they find something else out about it. Like maybe it doesn't, I, I don't think that like, the thing that I'm trying to find that image in my head that's perfect, it's not real. It's not real until everyone else has made it real. Wow, yeah. And so I think that it just approaching it that way, I think that the second as a writer you start, unless you're making a novel or you're making something where the writing is the final mm -hmm. destination, um, you have to be ready for it to change, for it to be shaped by the people who are executing it because they are the storytellers and they are the vehicles of that story as much as the writer is. Um, the writer sort of goes first and creates the foundation and the groundwork and they set up the ideas and those might change, but it's it's really everyone who builds upon that. The ultimate goal is not to have an amazing script or to have an amazing board. It's to have an amazing episode. Finished product. And yeah. so it's it's really it's uh embracing that aspect of it and uh embracing the collaboration and embracing um the changes that everyone else will bring to it. Mm. So, you know, there are times I think it's it's you choose when 
you say like, okay, I really had this image in the script. It's not coming through. We need to revisit this and figure out how to at least uh, pay off this thing that's in the script. Like sometimes you have to do something like that. Yeah. But a lot of time it's also like, you know, there are moments where I thought I knew things about certain characters and then you go and you record them and you get a voice actor in and they read a line in a way that you just never expected. Mm. And it changes the whole character in your mind. Mm. And you're just like, wait a second, I definitely thought this character felt this thing at this time in this way. And then someone comes who has like, you know, an insight into this character that maybe you don't have. And they reveal that to you. And then you're like, wait a second, you're right. Mm -hmm. The character totally feels that way. Right. Let's do that instead. Yeah. You know, that's the magic of that's it. That's fun. Like, that's like where it starts to feel like yeah. something that's alive and something that's growing and something that's being kind of nurtured by a whole group of people, like a sphere of people. It's, it's I love it. All the homeschool yeah. kids are weighing in on what the Odyssey should turn into. Yeah. 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 That's the best feeling. <laughs> That's the biggest gig you you landed so far. What was your biggest fear? It not getting picked up, you getting fired from it, you failing, you know? I think at you're first my biggest fear was, was failing, mm. was like, you know, not executing the thing I wanted to execute, was like washing out, mm. um, you know, getting kind of like hobbled in my creativity. Like those are the things that like, especially coming from a world where I, um, was solely devoted to creating my own projects. And I was very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, those are my fears coming in. I did not yet realize um, what would be required of me as a leader mm. uh, and as a manager. And so I think the biggest change in that fear became that suddenly that I was gonna let down people who relied on me. Wow. There are just so many people involved with making something like this. Like, it's a miracle that any animated show has ever been made. Mm -hmm. It's a miracle. Mm -hmm. It can't happen. I don't know why it does. Yeah. And every time it does, it's just like, bravo. It's, it's a surprise. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is, uh, it's something where there are so many people involved, and there are so many people who are like, especially as a showrunner, they're looking to you. And... Um, the the standard that you set is going to affect people's quality of life, their mm. work, their um, and the quality of the story as well. If people feel comfortable bringing their ideas to the table and embellishing, if they're having fun at their job, it shows. Uh, it's obviously a lot of work. It will always be a lot of work. But like, if people are miserable, it doesn't. It's not sustainable. Right. Um, yeah. And it's not okay. It's not you know, fun. it's yeah, like not, it's yeah. like why are we doing this right. if we're we're making we're making something together. It's like yeah. it, you, I don't, I don't know that I expected that responsibility from the start. Um, and, and it was kind of the biggest learning curve for me to be like, okay, well, how do I become a leader? How do I become the best leader? How do I become the leader that this crew of people deserves? Which is kind of weirdly what the show ended up being about, you know, it, yeah. it became about, um, leadership. Reluctant like, leadership. Yeah, and people almost, ask me all the yeah. time, they're like, oh, Shira is like, like they did all these sexist things where like, oh, He-Man gets to just be about power and strength and then She-Ra's for the honor. She's healing. She talks to animals. Like it's like, why like why can't she just be like strong and tough and, and like He-Man and have the power? And it's like, well, she does have the power. Mm. When, you know, the, we meet the character, she just punches everything and that's mm -hmm. how she deals with all her problems. And then suddenly she's like, oh, wait. 
I have to be a leader. I have to bring people together. I have to heal. I have to start like a positive discussion. Like all the things that are like, yeah. it's not as easy yeah. as just being like, I'm strong, I have mm-hmm. power. And it's like, this is a different kind of strength. This is like, this is important. Yeah. There is strength and there is power in being and like, being and being a good listener and being a strong and calm presence in uh, being a mediator mm. um, in bringing people together. Like those are the things that it is like, you know, it's a bit cheesy maybe, but it is, you know, I, I think that's what makes you strong. It's not just, you know, barreling through. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that realization sort of made it into the show. It's sort of the journey that the characters are going on too. Yeah. Um, where they're figuring out what strength means for them. And they all kind of come to their own conclusions, but, you know, um, ultimately I think it, the show kind of ended up being about the process of making the show. That's what I love is that is that those parallels to mm-hmm. your journey and yeah. the journey of the show. Yeah. And the journey that all of you were on trying to make that thing not yeah. just a reality, but make it fucking good. Yeah. Because yeah. the show is about collaboration. It's about like none of us can do it on our own. You have to team up. Mm-hmm. You have to work well together. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so that's what that's what ended up being kind of yeah. the core of the show. Do you... I get a different answer to this from every writer or artist that I talk to. Um, so I'm interested in your take. Do you read reviews of your work? It depends. Um, like the first day something comes out, I like, you know, there's all of the hype and I, uh, you know, it's hard to tear myself away from the internet mm-hmm. on that first day. Mm-hmm. So are you interested in what the industry has to say about it and what the critics have to say? Are you more interested in like what the people, the boots on the ground have to say about it? You know, where do you fit in that? Is it, I can't look at any of it because it'll taint my idea of what I'm trying to do. Where do you fit in there? No, I definitely look, there's certain things that are just like, you know, and it's trial and error sometimes where it's like, okay, I, I can't read things like this because Mm. it's either gonna, it's gonna distract me or it's gonna kind of like, uh, gonna make me feel bad without really any payoff. Mm. Um, I, I do believe in in feedback and criticism. I think criticism is very important. And I think it's very important to kind of be have the skill where you can see criticism, assess it, determine what is helpful and useful for you to take forward and what is not. Mm. Um, and that honestly, I don't really view them as separate. I think that the way like, you know, viewing the internet as a whole uh, and the industry. It's like, obviously, a YouTube comment is not gonna, like, keep me up at night. Right. Um, but at the same time, it is, like, when it's like, all right, someone has this concern, whether they're a critic or a fan, even if you try to remove yourself from that situation, you will find yourself in a place where you uh, are confronted with that mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. And I think for me... The skill, which has been difficult to uh, cultivate, but I think is very important, is figuring out what about it is useful. There's always a reason yes. behind what someone's saying, even if you it's not useful to you at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's the difference, whether it's useful or not. Mm. When you someone says, I think you could change them this way, I think it would be better like this, and you're like, that's not what I'm going for. Thank you for weighing in. It was never my intention to make something like what you want to be seeing. I don't think that this thing is for you, mm. but you know, I have the ability to view your criticism and determine that it's not actually going to be helpful to me. Mm. Whereas if someone I'm like, you know, is like, I was hurt by this thing, or I really wanted to see this thing inside, and you're like, all right, well, 
there's only so much I can do. I can't give you the exact thing that you want right now, but like it does mean something to me mm. to hear from someone that like, you know, there's a certain amount that feedback I think can be useful is what right. I'm saying. It, yeah. It's it, very important to keep a distance from it. Um, you have to have a healthy and to not, relationship to it like chase it too much mm -hmm. and to not let it determine your self-worth for sure mm -hmm. um but i think that there are times and it's how we grow and it's how we kind of like becoming a an artist on the internet um there will be people who bring up criticisms from time to time and sometimes also hit home and sometimes you realize that you have made a mistake or that you have sort of taken the wrong approach to something and figuring out when that is applicable and being like, you know what, you're right, I'll do better next time. Mm. Um, I think that's very important to any artist's growth and career because everyone has to continue assessing who they are, what they're making, and who they want to be mm. constantly, I think, as we go forward. Um, or you just stay in the same place forever. Yeah, yeah, and it might be something where the world changes around you and what once was like received very well is suddenly not going over as well, which I think we're seeing a lot of these days because the world is changing so in such specific ways. And it's like, well, what do you do when people are like suddenly the things that used to get a huge positive reaction are, you know, no longer getting mm. that reaction. And it's, it's, I think it's just assessing as you go forward and, and like staying true to yourself, but also listening. Mm. Um, and it just is really about your own filters and, um, I do choose to keep a pretty good distance from uh, from feedback like that. Like I don't seek out negative opinions. Mm -hmm. I don't seek out toxic kind of uh, feedback loops, anything like that. But while trying to stay above it, you are you also consistently assess. Yes. Um, so that's a, a roundabout way of just. I no, I totally understand you weigh it and you figure out what is actually going to help you improve as a creator and as a person. And what can you kind of like set aside and just be like, you know, we will never see eye to eye on this thing and that is okay. This might not be for you, mm. you know? Yeah. So we touched on this earlier, but I know it's something super important to you and super important to a lot of people out there. So I want to know about your journey of coming out as gay. So tell me, obviously you have this religious yeah. upbringing, you go to college, you meet these happy people who are okay with that lifestyle and just being who they are. And you're, you're seeing a different perspective yeah. of that than maybe what you were told that was going to be like. When in all this did you start to go, oh, something's happening here? Yeah, it's... um. I, I feel like my path is is uh it's certainly not like a like a tidy one by any means because I, I don't know that I there are some people and I and I always sort of was jealous of these people who just they seem like they always kind of knew who they were. Mm. Like they had this deep inner pull towards what the people that they loved, the truth that they could see. Like that's like I always wanted that, you mm. know. But for me it was never so clear. So growing up, I I don't think I ever really had a lot of fear or not in any way that was plain to me that I, I don't think I was ever afraid that I was gay. Mm. You know, I don't think I, I didn't have the stuff that like, there were little things that I can kind of see now where I look back and I'm like, wow, you were really, you were really into that older girl that you really was like, you really wanted her approval and you just followed her around all the time. Mm. And when she looked at you, it made you feel warm. Mm. But like, you know, like it was like, 
at the time I had no idea what that was and I didn't I didn't think of it that way. Mm. I think especially for my parents, this is this is hard for them to understand because I was kind of boy crazy, honestly, as a kid. I yeah. was like, I was really into the boys. I was like really into like what they thought about me and like getting them to like me and like who likes who. That was like so fun. Mm. That was like, oh, he's over there. He looked at me three times. Like that's like, it's like the most fun you can have. It's a as game. like a 13 year old. It's yeah. a game, yeah. Yeah, but it was like this thing that it was just always like, you know, it only goes so far, you know? Like I in my head, there wasn't even like, there wasn't a vision of what that meant of having a, having a boyfriend, having a husband, having a family, being a straight person with a husband didn't really think that far ahead. Hmm. So it, it took me a long, a very, very long time, even through times when I really should have known. Wow. Um, and so that's kind of the hard part about talking about it is that it's like, I just feel like I should have known. I feel like I should have figured it out sooner. Hmm. Um, and I- What stopped you, do you think? I, I'm not really sure. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm hoping that I gain more clarity on this, you know, the longer I live, but it's, um, you know, I, I mostly had girlfriends. Like mm -hmm. I had female friends who I did everything with, didn't have a lot of guy friends. I had really short hair as a teen. I like, I would, I basically buzzed my head a lot, which already had people talking about me. Right. Um, but, you know, it was like water off my back because I was like, well, I'm not gay, so whatever. Yeah. Um, it took a really long time to put it together. I, into my adult years, it was actually, it's actually been fairly recent that I've been out, that I am publicly, you know, and I'm with another woman, we're engaged, mm -hmm. we're together, thank by you. by the way, I'm we're so excited, I'm doing. so excited. Let me see, I, let me see, let me see. Yeah, mm. I saw this see? online, oh. but it's so beautiful, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah, it, it's strange to think that even just three years ago, mm. you know, this wasn't, this wasn't a public part of who I was. Mm. Um, it was a very long journey and it was something that it was just, I think that it's just, you know, you start out and you have these certain words. You're like, oh, look at that guy over there. Like he's so strong, like he, he's got like, I heard someone describe it at this as this once. You like you see a guy that you like, you're like, oh, I'm gonna climb him like a tree, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah. then when you're like, when you like a girl, what do you, you can't climb her like a tree, can you? Like, that's like, it's like a little different. Like, it's like, it doesn't mm -hmm. quite all add up. Mm -hmm. So like, what does it even mean? Right. How do you even picture yourself with another woman when all you've ever known is this whole set of things about what attraction is? Mm. And it only means this thing. Um, it's really, really hard to sort through that in your own head. It's just all completely alien. Mm. And I think that it took me just a very long time um, through various relationships, honestly, um, before I think I think it, there was this turning point where I could never envision myself being with another woman. And then I was in my early twenties, and I had a I had a, a dream. Mm -hmm. I had like a dream girlfriend who was no one I've ever met before. She was like. She was like really like butch and blonde, like did roller derby. And I was like, oh, I love this girl. I don't know her. I've mm -hmm. never met her. But like in my head, I was like, this is my girlfriend. And then I woke up and I was like, wait, shit. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I think I can visualize it now. <laughs> like I have this idea. It's like something's changed. Something mm. has fallen into place. Mm. I wish I had more specifics to it than that because so much of it is just you're kind of like 
brain puzzle pieces fitting themselves together and suddenly it just makes sense. Mm. And suddenly there's no going back. Mm. And uh, and I think that even until, you know, um, my fiance, uh, Molly, you know, I, um, I think it wasn't even until we were together and I and I realized how much I loved her and mm. how I wanted this future together. Um, that was the first time I could ever really visualize myself in that role at all. Wow. I think growing up, like there was like, you know, I never wanted a wedding. I never wanted to get married. Like I would be like, oh, I guess I'll wear a dress, whatever, go to the church, whatever. It seems kind of boring. It seems kind of like hard. Mm. And it wasn't until I was like, wait, no, I actually do want this with this person. Like that was when it, that was when things fell into place. That was when things changed. Mm. So it's not, I wish, I wish I'd had that piece of me that was like a little bit louder from the start. But I, I think it's important to know also that like, it takes you some time sometimes. Sometimes you have to try a few different things before you really know. Um, and sometimes it, it, Sometimes, like, like when I think back and I'm like, here are the guys that I liked. And I'm like, I don't think that was fake. I don't think I was faking it. Right, right. You know, yeah. that was real. It was important. Um, but ultimately, that was not who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as I reached a certain point in those relationships, I would realize it. Mm. So it really hasn't been until sort of realizing that, like, oh, there's this whole other thing that you never really let yourself think about. You can never really picture it. You can never really imagine it. And suddenly you have it. And it's just like, oh, that's how that feels. Mm. I think I get it now. Yes. You know, yeah. instead of just being the On lies the job that people again. feed you. You <laughs> yeah. know, just being like, yeah, when you like a guy, you want to climb him like a tree. That's mm. what you like. Mm -hmm. And you're like, all right, I guess I do. And then you figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And it's, yeah. What about wear her like a set of sweatpants? Mm. <laughs> You want to load your furniture into her U-Haul. You want to put her on like a flannel shirt. You want to open a ceramic studio together. What is a ceramic studio? Yeah, they don't exactly roll off the tongue as well. Yeah, you want to go to the Subaru dealership together. Uh. That moment of getting engaged and going, because that's a next. It's yeah. it's not it's not just a next step in a commitment of the relationship. It's a next step in the commitment of that idea for mm -hmm. you that this is my identity. Yeah. What was that? What was that experience like? Because we love Molly. We've mm -hmm. met her. She's been on. Yeah. She's been on the she's show, amazing. and she's yeah. she's. I mean, super talented yeah. in her own life and career, but as a person. Who, who who radiates more just like joy? She's got a very interesting sense of humor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So what yeah. what was that moment like? You know, I just like I I met Molly and I had met her several years before we ever started going out. We actually came up together um, mm. in comics. Mm. She had a web comic at the same time as I did, and um, you know we met at this convention, um, and I just instantly like. I latched onto her in some mm. way. I was just like, there was something about her face, about her aura, about who she was that I was just like, why don't you come with me? Why don't you, you know, we could hang out. Um, and it took us a while for both of us in our own separate ways to kind of find each other mm. as as um, as 
romantic partners. Um, it, it was it was not an easy path uh, for either of us. But um, once we were together, like really together, it was like I I think I told her I wanted to marry her within like three months of us dating, you know, and I was like, you know, we'd been out to dinner, I was like drunk and I was just like, <laughs> I want to marry you, mm. you know? Mm. And um, and it just felt right, even though what it was What was the like, response? What was the response? Know, she was like, okay. Was like, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It felt right, it didn't feel mm. like forward. It mm. felt like, you know, it felt, yeah, you know, like something here just works, something here fits, something. When I think of my future, I can picture this in a way I never could before, mm. you know? And there was just something that like, everything kind of changed. I never thought, I was like, I always thought it was like really cool, like a stud, you know? Or I was like, you know, I like being by myself. I like being single, like I can't be tamed, whatever. Whatever ugh, I thought of myself, mm -hmm. stupid. Right, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then you sort of are like, wait a second. Here's this person who kind of makes me want to drop everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like the stuff that you do to be cool when you meet someone that you like. And you're like, yeah, I would hang out if I got this party because I'm really cool and mm -hmm. like a lot of people like me. Super and popular. then instead I'm like, well, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Like, can we just drop all of that and just like be with each other? Like mm -hmm. that, like, that's the thing where it's just like all everything else falls away and you're just like, you become a little bit, you, you become a little bit of a dork. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, You're just yeah. like, like, you feel kind of dumb. You're like a little puppy. Can't stop talking like, about her to your friends. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. sick of hearing yeah. about whoever Molly is. And it's scary <laughs> you know, too. Like, it's yeah. scary because it's just like, if something happens, it's just mm. like, you're just an open You've put yourself heart, out there. You know, anything mm. is just like, and it, and like it did. Like there was, there was some heartbreak there at first. Mm. And then it was, it was worth it, you mm. know? So yeah, oh God, I'm being so mushy right no, now. No, I love but it. It's, it's, it's nothing true, I ever thought that I, like I never thought this would be me. Like the amount of like, it's like my life has expanded where I'm just like, I want these things in a way that I never thought I would. Mm. And it's just, everything has just gotten bigger. It's like. Yeah, you think, oh, uh, this, this isn't really my personality or, you know, like a wedding, a dress, a church, yeah. all that stuff. But then when you meet somebody, mm -hmm. all of a sudden those things that you might've been closed off to before open mm -hmm. up because it's hard to imagine them unless you, unless you, yeah. that, that lock has been open inside of you. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. What was the reaction like back home? Because like we talked about so much, the religious upbringing, yeah. you know, yeah. it's small town in the South with the swamp. Yeah. church, all that yeah. stuff. What was that What was that process like for you? Yeah, it was interesting because I actually, I thought I'd come out to my parents. I apparently did not. <laughs> so I swear, I, Thanksgiving you know, two years ago, was, I thought we had it. It was literally Thanksgiving. Okay, so like my parents came to visit me and I was like, all right, I have this thing to tell them. I had started dating girls. Uh, I wasn't with Molly yet, but I had started dating girls. So it was still it was still kind of this hypothetical thing for me. Hmm. Hadn't found anyone that I really liked enough to be like, hey, meet my, you right. know, my person. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to tell them. So I the way that I chose to do that was by being like, well, I've dated girls. I'm not putting a label on it yet, but mm -hmm. I I have dated girls. I I am dating girls. Um and I think they kind of read that. I don't know what they read it as, but I think they were like, oh, it's a phase or like, oh, she feels ashamed for doing mm. this. So that was kind of how they're like, oh, well, you don't have to worry about us. Like, you know, we love you no matter what, which is great to hear. And, yeah. But it was also like, I think there was a little bit of a miscommunication there where 
they weren't actually, I hadn't said exactly what I meant and they didn't hear what I meant, which was mm. that this is, I will only date girls from now on. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not an experiment. Yeah, it's no, this isn't something that I'm ashamed of. This isn't something that I'm doing as a weird, fun thing or a wacky whatever. Like this is this is me, hmm. and I don't think I think that was where we missed each other a little bit. So it wasn't actually until I'd started dating Molly, and I was really into her. I was just so excited that I was with her. I just didn't want to do anything but talk to her all day on the phone, on Skype, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went home for the holidays, and I. I was just so giddy about it that I was just like, well, I have a girlfriend, like a real girlfriend. Mm -hmm. um, and I was met with silence. And I, that was when I realized that I maybe hadn't been totally clear uh, from the start about other. what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was just sort of, it was like, I, it took them some time, I think, to get used to the idea. Um, and there was some fear, not just from me, but from my family, about other members of my family and how they would respond. Mm. And so that was something I had to think about, about like when I was going to sort of break the news to other members of my family. And there were people like my siblings, I came out to them kind of one by one. My little brother, I sort of, I, I, I guess I, I thought I'd come out to him and then I sort of mentioned it in front of him at some point and he was just like, oh. I was like, oh, sorry, did I not tell you? He's like, <laughs> Well, I guess I figured. And then we just went back yeah. to whatever we were doing. And it was <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. a lot of my siblings, like they had figured it out. Mm. They knew. Yeah. They weren't terribly surprised. And and they um they were very, you know, uh even my my siblings who were still, you know, religious, uh, still very conservative, they were like, you know, obviously you're the same person to the to us. We love you. You're as much a part of the family as you were before. And that mm. was like, it's important to hear, even if it's the kind of basics of just like, yeah, you're still our sister, daughter. Right. Um, you're still you, we still love you. It's basic things that are just really powerful to hear. Mm. That um, you need, that you really need. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's I just, mean, life can go on without that and you yeah. can be resilient and grow, but yeah. it's so much more helpful when you have I think it's important, I think, is just to also set your own terms, especially like having a family that doesn't accept you for who you are you know, the trade-off for that is that they don't get to have you in your life, mm -hmm. in their life. Mm -hmm. So you say, here's who I am. You can love me for who I am, or you don't get to have this relationship with out. me. Yeah. I am going to be true to myself. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I hope you can be a part of that. I really want you to be a part of it. If you're not, that's it. I have know? to do this. So yeah. I think it's important to draw those boundaries because it is, it's also, it's important for a lot of uh, people who are relatives of, of gay people family members mm -hmm. who might not be ready to accept that yet to also realize the stakes of like, you know, are you going to cut this person off or are you going to try to, you know, understand mm -hmm. and and grow? And I've been very fortunate um, to have a family who, you know, I uh, I try to be very gentle with them um, and and try to like, you know, get to a place where they're comfortable, but also, you know, it's not all about... Be you at the same yeah, time. Yeah, it's not yeah. all about comfort. It's like yeah. sometimes it will be uncomfortable and that's important. Mm -hmm. And I think that something interesting has happened since then where I took Molly home for the first time for Christmas two years ago. And we went to uh, this annual Christmas Eve party that my my dad's side of the family has. He has a really big family in kind of the upstate of South Carolina, kind of the Hills area. Mm -hmm. um, and... I was, I was really nervous to introduce Molly to my extended family. And I have a cousin who I had known uh, was gay, but he brought his husband that year as well. 
and we weren't the only gay couple You're like, at buffer. this family. <laughs> yeah. And it's like to see his mother just being like, you know, like, I mm -hmm. love, like, this is my, like, you know, like talking about them so excitedly and just like, what I thought was gonna happen, this like discomfort, this awkwardness, this stilted silence, and it was suddenly, it was just like seeing mm. acceptance. Mm. Um, You're not alone. Like, and I had known, I had known that he was, that he had come out and that it had been a little bit of a, of a journey. Um, but the, that, you know, the family had, totally accepted him at, at no, I don't know how long it took but like mm. they did and it was like like being there it was just like knowing I don't know it's yeah. it's the opposite of the of the narrative of the time that's just like you know the right will just get farther to the right the mm -hmm. left will get farther to the left will never meet in the middle mm -hmm. and just realizing that it's like it's family that people do go to great lengths for family and mm. that can lead to a lot of uh of understanding and growth yeah so yeah I've been lucky in that way, for sure. Not yeah. everyone has that, but I've That's been very true. lucky. They've, there's still a long ways to go, but uh, I think we'll get there, mm -hmm. so. I wanna talk about the year-end post that you made. Um, you've done one the last four years or so, you said? Seven years, Seven actually. years, my mm -hmm. God, okay. I've been doing them since 2011, so. They are, a fascinating read for anybody out there who um, I, I appreciate the level of honesty. I love the cartoons. I appreciate the level of honesty and the fact that you're, you, you have an understanding because you make art and you see how that art resonates with people, whether it's, I love this, it's fun, or this really touches me, or I identify with this character or these people or whatever else. You, <clears throat> you love that. And I can tell in the writing of these that you go, if I put myself out there, um, if I'm vulnerable to a certain extent, I am risking that thing that we all do when we put ourselves into our art or we we speak truth about you know where we're currently at, like you're doing with these yeah. year-end posts, <clears throat> but knowing that it could affect someone in a positive way. Mm -hmm. You said something in there that I really, really, really resonated with, which was fearing going on any sort of medication for any mental stuff that you had going on. My wiring's all crossed. It has been like since the day I came yeah. into the world. And fearing that that would kill your creativity mm -hmm. because there's a stigma around that. And yeah. it's talked about in this yeah. town all the time. There's two sides of the, of, the, of the spectrum. And we joked about this earlier. I work with some people, not here, but I work with some people who drink all day mm -hmm. because to them, that unlocks the creativity. And yeah. they think the only way for me to be creative is for me to drink. Yeah. I, when I try to write when I'm drunk, it's all dog shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the other side of that is I can't take any medication to yeah. help balance my life to a healthy level because it'll take away my creativity. I would rather live with these demons and live with mental illness or whatever it is, stuff that's a little shifted in my brain than not be able to create because the medication has muted me. Yeah. And you were very honest about going, I was afraid of that. And here I am, I have medication, I still write, I yeah. still create. That thing that was my biggest fear isn't anymore. Talk to me about that, because that really hit me profoundly. Yeah, I think it's um, it's been such an interesting time and an interesting journey. I have some piece of me that has always been there. And it's something that feels like 
it's gonna completely destroy me sometimes. Mm. And sometimes it feels like, well, the only thing I can do is just write. The only thing I can do is just draw. The only thing I can do is create. Um, Nimona's kind of about that. Interesting, yeah. So there's this, the protagonist, she's a shapeshifter. She can be anything she wants to be. So she's able to express things that most people can't because she can literally turn herself into that. And there are times when she turns into this demon of fire and magma that's just her pure rage. And she just wants to tear things apart until someone hears her. Mm. And that was how I felt. Mm. And so knowing that I couldn't actually destroy things on a huge scale like she did, um, nor did I want to. <laughs> right. It was like, all right, well, what is, how do you express those feelings in a way that is, is positive? And so a lot of times it did go back into my art. Um, and, and that was, you know, an important way of dealing with these feelings that at times were so strong. Um, it also wasn't enough. It, it wasn't, it's just like, it can be so all consuming. It can be so like, you lose your, um, I describe it sometimes as like a pen on a map where you sort of are like, here's where I plant my pen. This is reality. Mm. I know I can see everything. I know whether to go left or right. I know because this is where real things are. You move that pen and you can't make the right decision mm. because you can't see the right decision because you're lost. Mm. It means that like certain things that don't make any sense start to make sense. And acting in ways that you would never normally do or you wouldn't want to do, they make sense because you've, you've lost sight right. of where you're supposed to be going. Mm. And so that is what medication has helped me with. Because when you are like, when you feel so strongly and you're hit with so many feelings, sometimes it can feel like you're just totally surrounded by them. You lose sight. Mm. You don't know which way's up. And then suddenly you have something that's like, wait, it's not that I'm not feeling these things. I still feel shitty. They suck. I am like, I feel terrible. But I know where I am. I know that I might feel this feeling that's so strong and so it, it, it's painful, but I also know it's not real. It's not going to last forever. Yeah. yeah. There are certain feelings like paranoia, like uh, rage, mm -hmm. that you get them and you're like, no, I'm not doing this because I can see you. I can see what you are, put you there, mm. and figure it out, you yeah. know, which sometimes you don't always have the ability to do. Mm -hmm. So... That was, I think, that was the journey. Um, and it was, I was going to therapy. Like I was like voicing these things and I was trying to figure it out. And I, um, you know, my therapist never really seemed to think that there was anything wrong. So I was like, I guess nothing's wrong. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until kind of I hit this wall and I just realized that I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. I'm like, I, I'm not sleeping. I'm like, I'm this ball of nerves. I'm just like this raw wound in so many ways. I am not going to survive this unless something happens. Mm. And so that was when, you know, I was like, give me, yeah. give me a recommendation for a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that was when, and it was like, you know, so, what the nice thing about it is I was like, oh, you know what? Here's, here's the problem. Mm. Why don't you try this? You know, mm. and it's not always that easy, but it made a huge difference right away. And I was like, yeah. what? You can feel like this? You can just feel like, okay, you can just go to bed at night and go to sleep? Mm -hmm. Is that allowed? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the you stigma know? around that is, is breaking off too because <clears throat> there's also, and this is, 
something I hope really becomes, you know, mainstream because therapy and, and mental illness is becoming a larger part of the conversation because people are, we have to talk about it because yeah. it's real. It's causing effects in the world. Mm -hmm. It's causing effects in our own individual little tiny planets and all of that stuff. I fucking love therapy. Mm -hmm. I wake up the day of therapy like Matt Damon. Let the healing yeah. begin. Like I'm excited <laughs> to go. You know what I mean? Even if I know like I've got some heavy shit to dive yeah. into today, I know that I'm going to come out the other side of it with tools mm -hmm. or a tool that I need that the next time something like that comes up that I go, oh, I can know if I got a mm -hmm. thing. I got a little thing for this. I know yeah. something for this. But the other thing too is that you can try a medication yeah. or therapy and then drop it if it's yeah. not what's working for you. If you're if you're paired up with somebody that understands what you're going through, you can go, I don't know if this is working. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's it not is, a mental institution where they, they make so you have final, a pill. Where you're like, well, mm -hmm. now I'm on this for the rest of mm -hmm. my life. But instead it's like, hey, here's you. You're this basically vat of chemicals and, and hormones and uh, just different different things that are all interacting with yourself. And that's what makes you a person. Mm -hmm. And we alter our body chemistry all the time with mm -hmm. everything that we do. So whether you drink to cope with things, whether you do other drugs, whether you, you know, meditate, whether you go for runs, there are so many ways like those release, you know, dopamine, stuff, really, yeah. like whatever you mm -hmm. choose to do, like they work for some people, not for others, mm -hmm. because everybody's different. Everybody's a different vat of chemicals. But the idea that like, hey, you introduce this thing into your body chemistry, and it can actually, you know, it can sort of open gates that were closed, it can sort of raise walls that need to be raised mm. to keep certain things in a, in a manageable form. And that was the thing that I didn't quite understand. Um, even though I knew, like I knew practically, like you know, I have people in my family with with chronic illness, so they rely on um, constant medication of, uh, you know, like diabetes. Yeah, it's like you yeah. have to take insulin because your body does not produce insulin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you have to administer it constantly. It doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make you less you. No, yeah, you just need no. insulin so that your your blood sugar can be processed mm -hmm. by your body. For whatever reason, your body's not naturally doing that. It needs it needs a hand. Same. It doesn't with the make mind. you any less strong. Yeah. It doesn't make you any less real. It just means that some process in your body has gotten mm -hmm. is is not working. It's the way interrupted. It's supposed to. Yeah. 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 And so that's something that like, I understood that in my heart, but I still just, I, I didn't want help. I wanted to be able to do it all myself. And I thought that would mean I was a strong person, but it is, it's something that's like, the difference has been so huge. And even just sometimes I'm like, does this just help me sleep at night? Even if that's all it does, I'm like, I sleep at night. Oh my God, this is amazing. Right, right. I sleep through the night. Yeah. I love it. Uh -huh. It's great. Mm -hmm. it, it helps me so much because the feelings that come, it's like, I still feel them. They're still strong. Mm -hmm. They're still agonizing sometimes. However, I know what's real and what isn't. Yes. So it is sort of just like you can sort through it. Yeah. It's something that is like, I'm still still just figuring it out. Still pretty, pretty mm -hmm. new to all of this. But uh I think it's important to talk about because it I is. think that we we put on these strong fronts and not just strong even, just like the idea that like we haven't figured out that we're all doing great. Mm. Like the idea of like, I'm I'm together, I'm fine. Like mm. you see people like that all the time who are just like, I have this thing, I've got my partner, I've got my beautiful house, I go on these vacations, I have these beautiful clothes, I'm doing good. And you're like, well, geez, I don't have those things. Can't relate. But yeah. like, 
you know, that's what it means to be a whole person. So I have mm -hmm. to try and have that instead of being like, you know what? None of us are whole. None of us are, have figured it all out. And it's, uh, even if someone looks like they have everything, so often there's this thing that just is like, you know, so many things that you have to like struggle with that everyone has their own fight. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we can be honest about that, I think the pressure to be perfect, to be always strong, to be always on, to be always together, I think that would go away a little bit. Um, mm. If like, you know, and it, and it takes people, you know, discussing it even privately with each other. Uh, I felt like as soon as I actually started exploring medication as an option, I, I started talking to my friends and I realized how many of them were also medicated. And that, you know, it it lowered my my alert like it, it made yeah. me less scared yeah because it was just like of course they're just they're my friends mm -hmm. they are they have certain things that they um struggle with that their body is not maybe naturally doing for them yep. and uh and it's just a part of their life mm -hmm. and it just you know and 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 i think that that sort of it, it lowered my defenses and it and it made me more yeah, it made me it made me realize that there was something that I could be doing. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah. And the fact that it didn't destroy your creativity, mm -hmm. yeah. which is what everybody tells you. They'll yeah. tell you it's going to it's going to That was my thing. It's going to turn said. you into a zombie. It's going to make you, you know, cuz I I had a friend who who said, "I take medication so I don't experience any high highs or any low lows." And I can sort of just coast through life, right? We all have a different mm -hmm. body chemistry and mental chemistry yeah. so that things affect us in different mm -hmm. ways. And I was so I always thought of that when someone brought that up as I go, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to I don't want to coast through life and be a zombie. Everything that I write, everything that I create, every song that I do is is lives mm -hmm. in that in that up and down in that mm -hmm. wave. And that's where art most mm -hmm. of the time comes from in a lot of yeah. us, rather than just from the mind. And I was so worried about that being taken away. But then you realize that's an illusion. Yeah. Life, life, there's no amount of medication that cannot make what life yeah. throws at you give you those high highs and low lows, right? Because I've actually <laughs> yeah. never, um, I've never said it, be well, I've, I've said it before, but I haven't uh, said it publicly before. But, um, so I'm bipolar. Right, So yeah. that was the diagnosis that I received. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it was something that I had been experiencing for many years. Um, but like there were times when I was okay because mm -hmm. that's kind of how it works. That's how it, it works. It sort of comes yeah. in cycles. Mm -hmm. So, um, other times I'm like, I feel great. So like nothing could really be wrong because I'm on top of the world right now. And like, I think that that's the perception of it is that sometimes you feel really good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you feel really bad, but maybe the bad times are okay because sometimes you feel really good. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't until it was actually a Carrie Fisher quote because she was bipolar, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and was, a was very outspoken about it. Um, and she was describing it to a child who asked her this in a panel. And he asked her, I, I forget what he asked her, but but she explained bipolar to him. And she said, she's like, sometimes you're you're very sad, and sometimes you're very fast, mm. and sometimes you're both at once. Those are those are fun days. Wow. And I yeah, never heard wow. it like that before because yeah. it's not happy and sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is like down and fast. Yes. Yes. And like the fast can be great because sometimes it means you get so much done, but sometimes it means that it's the end of the world mm. and everything you do could be your doom. Yes, devastation. And you have to do everything you can to stop that and and you are just like vibrating. Yeah. Like yeah. on another frequency mm -hmm. and it's and it's agonizing. Mm -hmm. 
And so that was something, it wasn't until I heard her describe it that way that it made sense to me. Um, and that's sort of what medication does. It's like, I think, you know, it was described to me as like, you know, even when you're feeling great, you're like, I'm getting so much done. I'm going so fast. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I am awesome. I'm on top of things. I will never die. I can kill God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's like yeah. you're borrowing from your own store uh -huh. of energy. Yes. You're going to crash after this. Yeah. You have to be careful that you are not like your ideal is like you are your. You might not be going as fast, but you're still you. You're mm. still like you can work as hard. You can be as creative. You can be as fired up. But like you can't be pulling, drawing on stores that you don't have, mm, yeah. because that will lead to a very long time, big of, burnout of of uh, of feeling just lost yeah. and terrible and sad and um, and so that was like sort of like just realizing that of thinking of it as like accounts, almost like bank accounts. Mm -hmm. I'm just like you can't take out more than you have, mm -hmm. or you'll be sorry. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like figure out a way that you only draw out what you need and you work with that. But it's not, it's not making everything one. It's not making everything gray. It's not like turning into someone mm. who's just a a robot who just does things and just powers through. It's like you are just. You can you can see clearly, so you know like you know that it's hard to describe. I know what you mean though. You're able to be, you're able to be yourself in a way that that the core of who you are isn't adjusted by stuff outside of your control mm -hmm. so extremely on mm -hmm. either end of the spectrum. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I think there's something. It's like like my like when I'm on my high side of things, mm -hmm. I'm like, I am going to get so much done. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if something happens and it's like, oh, maybe I think my friend is mad at me. What can I do about that? So normally you're like, my my friend didn't return my text in the first five minutes that I sent it. Well, they might be busy. Maybe they're in the shower. And that's your normal brain. But sometimes when you're like, you know, in a heightened state like that, you're like, my friend didn't return my text. They must hate me. What it must did because I do? Of, what did I maybe say? I did this thing. It was this thing yep. I did. They hate me because of that. I have mm -hmm. to do this. I have to fix this. I have to fix this now. I'm going to fix it right now. Maybe I'll do it by doing this. Like Before you know, you've sent, you've Before sent you 20 know. unanswered texts and they go, I yeah. was in the shower. Your pin, yeah. you think it's here, but mm -hmm. it's here. Mm -hmm. And you're reacting to things that are here. And that's not, they're not real feelings. Yeah. They are things that are, you're interpreting things um, in your life incorrectly. Mm. And that's really what it does. It gives you clarity. You might still feel the same things. Oh, no, I'm afraid my friend is mad at me. But you also realize, well, if they're angry at me, the next time I see them, I will be very kind to them. And I will maybe gently ask them if they do, if they are angry at me. Um, mm. I don't know that there's anything I can do about it right now, but I will, moving forward, try and figure out how to resolve this so right. that I, my, me and my friend are on good terms again. Yeah. So it's things that are like, it just, it, it cuts through the the haze. Mm. It cuts through the noise, the yeah. kind of dark clouds. And it's like, all right, no, but here's what's real. These feelings are, these feelings are real. These feelings are important, but they might not be fully real. Mm. They might be... Um, they might be a result mm -hmm. of you being turned around in some way. And yeah. so that's what it does for me. It, it really, it, it just gives me the ability to see which direction I'm going. Perspective. And yeah, so it's, it, it, it has been, it seems in so many ways like such a subtle change because I don't really feel that it's changed my, even my quirks, even my like weird jittery habits that like I associate with it. It hasn't really gone away. Yeah. Um, 
it just allows me to sort of recognize what's going on mm. in a way that's been very, very powerful for me. Yeah. And also, I, I love sleeping. Sleeping is great. Sleeping is nice. I love it. <laughs> turns out, <laughs> turns out good for the body, good it's for the great. mind. <laughs> it's just delightful. <laughs> well, so, yeah. Thank you for yeah, talking about yeah. that. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I've never... I've never talked about it uh, in a in a public forum before, but I also do think that it's it's important to discuss because it's um there's a lot of it's us. It's a common there. yeah, it's a common thing. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people that are like you know I think that the exception is the people who aren't anxious or depressed or you know suffering from any number of imbalances of the mind. Like and it doesn't make you broken and it doesn't make you lesser and it doesn't make you weak. No. It just means Make that you sure have other, you have different things mm -hmm. in your life to try and figure out and try to puzzle through. Yeah. So. And when we, we were young, people weren't really talking about it. And the fact that we're sitting here talking about yeah. it is hopefully an inspiration to those people. Yeah. Yeah. You are a storyteller at what I think is at the beginning of your career, the very Hope beginning, so. the very, the very, very beginning <laughs> That'd be of your ideal. career. Um, going forward, what type of stories do you want to tell? What type of stories are you interested in telling? What do you what 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 do you want to put out into the world to continue to put out into the world? Let me say that. Yeah, I'm interested in what makes us human. And maybe that's a very, I don't know, I guess, I guess all creators have some version of that, but it is, it's, um, I think that the stories that I'm interested in and the characters that I'm interested in, they embody both what we want to be and what we're afraid that we might be. And so, um, using characters as a way to explore those things. I talked a little bit about uh, Nimona being in so many ways so therapeutic for me mm -hmm. um, because it allowed me to explore. I think this is why I like villains a lot, you know. Maybe there's this part of me that's dark. I don't want to look at it because I don't want to admit that it's there. Mm. But when you do look at it and you think, okay, I'm going to give shape to this darkness. I'm going to explore this through a character. What are the consequences for their behavior? Can they be redeemed? What what direction are they going? Um, what you know, if they have a hero that they're butting up against, what are the, what is the difference between those two people? It is uh, an exploration, I think, of what we want to be and what we're afraid we might be. Mm. So it's all it's all tied back in. It's all about. I think ultimately it's like choice. It all comes down to choice for me. Yeah. Of kind of like, what do we choose and what are we forced to choose? What are we born with? What are, what are, how do we grow? Um, and that's kind of, I think, the core of every story that I've told so far and that I'm interested in telling in more ways still of just what makes us who we are. Is it just the world that we're born into, just the family that we're born into, just the mindset right. that yeah. we're born into? And how do we break free of that? And what does it mean to break free of that? And, you know, what are the extremes that you can go to on either side of that spectrum? Mm. I think that that's the question that I've been like exploring and searching for through everything. It's just like, you know, how do you be good? How do you be a good person? What what goes into that? Yeah. 
are you, you are you a born a good person or do you just have to work at it really really hard or is it a mixture of both is yeah. It, yeah, yeah 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 and do some people have the same choice as other people mm-hmm. you know and it's mm-hmm. like that's i think that's at the root of everything so i think going forward it's just it's um whatever i i love stories i want to live in those worlds i want to embody these characters i want to explore what makes them tick and also I think the medium that allows those stories to take form, I'm interested in what goes into those mediums. Like what, you know, making a cartoon is different from making a comic in certain Mm -hmm. ways, in lots of ways. But there are certain things that set it apart. So what makes it special? What makes it special to be making a cartoon as opposed to a comic Mm. and vice versa? Mm. Like what about that process do you love? And so going forward, I think it's just like, all right, like, well, What's the next interesting thing to explore? What's the next thing that, like, you know, to learn, to find, to make? I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to just, like, find find more stories to tell. Yeah. Yeah. So There's so many different facets to the human condition. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a writer and an artist, I feel like that job is to continually be searching out and figuring out a way to express mm-hmm. that thing to the world in a way that makes them go, oh, I can attach to that in some way. I can relate to that. Yeah. 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 And sometimes yeah. it's through the form of a, you know, superpowered princess. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's something that's just totally mundane and of our world. But, you know, whatever. Sometimes it's a blog post. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever Whatever makes um, those feelings real. And whatever explores, you know, those things that I think need to be explored, like that's that's what I'm interested in and that's what I'm excited to to pursue. Thank you so much for joining me. I love it. I'm so I know. happy. Cheers. Cheers to you. Thank you for everything you've created and everything you will create. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm just saying in advance in case you didn't like me and you don't want to come, you know. <laughs> I'm out of here. Anymore. See ya. This was really great. Yeah, this was awesome. This was Thank really you. Great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to um, seeing pictures from your wedding. They'll be majestic. Are you do Do you have plans? Are you going yes. to do some sort of theme? Is there a you know? Is there a? Are you gonna be dressed as She-Ra? Is there gonna be some sort of like? <laughs> Let me tell you, like I think that like I had such an aversion to like the white wedding, uh-huh. and I still do. Uh-huh. Of like, you know, I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to do all that. Yeah. It's like let's just do it. Let's just like be together. And I still feel that way. But then it's like once we get into it, we we have a wedding planner. Mm. We have we like we try it on wedding dresses, and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> Why do I feel so magical? <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. You know, like. I think that there are things in that where it's just like, well, why don't we just do it? You know, like, yeah, this fuck is, it. Like this is this is great. Like yeah. this, uh, it's uh, so yeah. You know, we have a wedding planner. We're um, gonna do like a like a woodsy like <gasps> camp themed wedding because we're huge fucking lesbians. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like yeah, we went to try on wedding dresses and it's just like, well. I love this. God damn it. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) So probably won't wear a dress, but you know, it's like, like it's, it's nice to open yourself up to things that you Mm -hmm. maybe close yourself off to because the way that they were presented to you were, was rigid or unappealing. And now it's just like, well, we can kind of make our own rules. We can like do things on our terms. And that means that like, 
sometimes it's it's nice to have a like mm -hmm. fairy princess like mm -hmm. magical thing, you know? Yep. Nice. Yeah. Put her on like a wedding dress. <laughs> A wedding <laughs> pantsuit. Like a, a wedding pantsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Noelle. Cheers to you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. <laughs> my thanks to Noelle Stevenson for joining me. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. If you would like to support our show, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a rating or review if you'd like. Until next time, don't forget to love each other.